Hello and welcome to the 250, your weekly podcast look at the IMDb's top 250 movies of all time. I'm your host, Darren Mooney, and joining me as always is my co-host, Andrew Quinn. How are you, Andrew? Hey, Wonga, Darren. Uh, Wonga Jabba Wonga. Jabba no Bata. Okay. No Tacey? Okay. I'll let the listeners decide which one of us is wearing a chainmail bikini. Uh, it's not Andrew. All right, then. Oh, Judah. Oh, Judah, Darren. <laughs> All right. So, yes, as listeners may have guessed, uh, this evening there's going to be either one of either two things is going to happen. Either a great evil will be vanquished from the face of this galaxy, or a problem will go away, ferment, and come back to haunt our children and our descendants in a generation yet to come. Yes, that's right. We are discussing the last in the original Star Wars trilogy, Episode 6, The Return of the Jedi. And joining us for this discussion, we have two veterans of previous campaigns, the wonderful Grace Duffy, who joined us to discuss Star Wars two years ago, and The Force Awakens three years ago. How are you, Grace? That two and three years ago. <laughs> oh Make us all feel old. <laughs> Feeling old and just very worn out. It's been, it's been uh, a decade of a year. It's hard to imagine years before that. What, what even is time? Um, and we also then... Did we do any Star Wars movie last year? Yes, Andrew, we did, and I'm glad that you asked because we have a veteran from that one as well, the wonderful Mr. Luke Dunn, joining us from last year's discussion of The Empire Strikes Back. Thank you for the setup, Andrew. How are you doing, Luke? I'm, I'm good. That genuinely doesn't feel... That feels a lot longer than a year ago, genuinely. Yeah. To, to put that in context, it was after you talked to us about baby geniuses. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> uh, don't worry, we've got the 20th anniversary of baby geniuses too coming before, right up. Or after we talked about cats, though. You do, I know you do sometimes get me on to talk about things I actually like talking about. Yeah. <laughs> um, but will that be this evening? We're going to keep our listeners in suspense. And for this third and final installment of the Star Wars trilogy, possibly the last Star Wars movie that we're going to discuss on this podcast, we have a fresh new face, the wonderful Mr. Andy Mellowish. How are you, Andy? Hello, Darren. Hello, everyone. I'm wonderful. Thank you. All right, now, when we had Grace on and we had Luke on, we asked them both about their history with the Star Wars franchise. If they remember the first Star Wars movie they saw, which of them is their favorite, and kind of what their personal history with the franchise is. So what about yourself, Andy? What is your history with Star Wars? Um, Star Wars was my my life throughout the 90s. I, I, I loved those films, the, the Holy Trilogy, as as we know them um uh yeah i think my first exposure to star wars was in fact return of the jedi probably very very young no 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 this is this is like before star wars was cool again when it, it when those three films were just old films that could be on a sunday afternoon without like oh my goodness it's star wars um but back then, I remember catching glimpses of Return of the Jedi on, like, Boxing Day. Stephen's Day, as you would call it. Thank you. Um, and, and it grew from there. And then I remember um, not, not really knowing that much. I remember thinking Star Wars was cool. Um, and then someone, I think in, in year 11, no, sorry, year 7, year 12 maybe lent me the the like original star wars vhs's and that's so i was probably about 11 so early early 90s i would have just like really bloomed into the the star wars obsessive uh, 
that I would grow and grow up to be. I actually have an interesting kind of a question here because you are that means that you came to Star Wars, I think, earlier than myself and Andrew, earlier than Grace, earlier than Luke. So this means you actually have a memory of Star Wars, not only just before the sequel trilogy, but before George Lucas remastered them for their cinematic re-release in the late nineties. Yeah, well, I, I've I've seen these, but like the, this wasn't the the first like version of this. Uh, the, 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 this the the movie that I watched. It was also a different one than, yes, than the one that I watched originally. It was also a different one than you would have watched in 1997. And we'll probably talk about that as we get on a bit later, because Lucas cannot help himself. Oh, my God. Do you know what? the? OK, we're going to have a little guessing game later on. We're going to ask Andrew to spot the difference, as it were. But Andy, you remember the original, as we call them, holy, as you're calling them, holy trilogy. Yeah, um, yeah. Intact and untouched. What's it been like watching that kind of grow? Watching Star Wars, in your own words, become maybe cool again? Watching it become a, like a, a modern pop culture phenomenon again? What's that? What's that been like? I remember Star Wars before before even we wanted to call it Episode Four. I remember that being re released as like Star Wars. Oh, I, a new hope. Episode Four. What? <laughs> a New Hope. What? Um, and I remember that coming into cinemas and not being able to get a ticket. Um, and that was, that was a big deal. And then it, it really did relaunch from there. And it was like having three new Star Wars films again. It was like somehow it reinvigorated everyone's love for the, the trilogy. And, um, then I saw it grow a bit more like I, I remember throughout the nineties bits and pieces sort of emerging, like those those really basic X Wing and TIE Fighter games and um which oh, is still Rogue classic. Squadron and stuff like yeah. that. Those are, those ones yeah, I remember playing Rogue Squadron on the N sixty four to death and just thinking, Okay, this is this is late stage Star Wars now. They've they've probably done everything <laughs> they need to do. And boy, um, were you wrong. <laughs> boy, was I wrong. So it's it's been a hell of a journey. But um, you know, I, I just I just opened the notebook that I I, I wrote some ideas down when we we were re rewatching Jedi the other day, and the first thing I've written is I feel nothing. What? Um, and I remember I remember feeling so much about Star Wars. And I don't know if it's time or if it's the industry or what, but I, I no longer feel anything about it. So, like, the Emperor Palpatine statue in your heart has been toppled. I was going to say like um, like a Last Jedi era, um, Luke Skywalker, I've cut myself off from the Force. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. All right, well, okay. we, might, we, might, we might... Like, come... even... With the when the when the opening crawl starts and the fanfare roars, the, um, and the, all the thing about like Luke returning home to get a tattoo and <laughs> like, that, that doesn't kind of have, have have an effect on you. No, uh, and it, it's been it's been at least ten years or more since I've watched any of the original trilogy, and um, not feeling it, man. Not feeling wow. it. Ten years, so that'll take you back to the, the gap between the prequels and the sequels. Yeah, like, yeah. Okay, wow. Um, all right, then. I was going to ask more questions, but I feel like I might be poking at a wound, so I'm 
Gonna, oh, gonna move no, on. well, as, as I've made clear, I feel nothing about this. <laughs> <laughs> Not even bad feelings. That's, it's, this is kind no, of, that's more it's, depressing somehow. It's like, you're, it's like you're poking a scar that doesn't have any nerve endings. Yeah, that doesn't make it any better, Andy. Um, well, okay. I don't know. Kinda... Let... <laughs> <laughs> Sounds nice. <laughs> it's nice to have something to look forward to yeah. in these times. <laughs> An empty stormtrooper helmet. Um, we're basically banging on an empty stormtrooper helmet. Okay, so um, I was going to ask you, Andy. Then, do you have a favorite Star Wars film, um, and which one um, it is? Probably, it is? probably Empire. Um, second would be Jedi, and then well, you can't really use those. See, it's been that long that I still use those abbreviations when they made sense. Third would be The Last Jedi, which I really liked. And I know that you are aggressively ambivalent about Darren. He's not even the person who has the worst opinion on it on this call. So for once, Darren is off the hook. (laughs) As far as, you know, meaningless, not meaningless, but useless, needless sequels go, it's a brilliant film. Yeah, like, like the, and the the idea that Star Wars fans would have a problem with like a needless superfluous sequel um, yeah. is ridiculous to me. Like the the, because um, like there um, there is a Death Star again, <laughs> even worse, and like that's, that's the you know original trilogy stuff. It's not. Like, uh, yeah. Anyway. Okay, I feel like we may be venturing a bit off topic here. All right. Yeah. All right. So, um, that is for a future discussion. Or maybe not. <laughs> we'll keep listeners in suspense about that. But um, so yes, Grace. What about yourself? Do you remember the first time that you saw Return of the Jedi? Don't remember the first time. I, so I'm guessing I probably saw it when I was quite young. But I think I said this the last time we were talking about Star Wars. Was I remember my mom bringing me and my brother to see A New Hope and it was re-released in I'm guessing 1997 um, and it was most memorable for having like no impact on me whatsoever it wasn't until I was in secondary school that um, and I had a friend who was really into Star Wars her and her older sisters who kind of converted me a wee bit that I started actually paying attention to it so it was probably around that age that I'm guessing I saw Return of the Jedi um, but I don't really remember the first time I saw it but I do remember watching it a lot, like whenever it was on TV. And it's one of those films that UTV just seems to show constantly. <laughs> so you can watch it a lot quite easily. Just out of curiosity here, I remember there being discussions, I think, back when we did the Scanlon podcast together. I know that uh, Return of the Jedi is Jay's favorite Star Wars film. Is- How is it for you in terms of Star Wars ranking, at least the original trilogy? Because I know that The Force Awakens is your Star Wars film. Um, Mine would probably go Jedi, A New Hope, and then Empire Third in keeping with my controversial Star Wars opinions. <laughs> cool. Um, and Luke, what about yourself? Do you remember the first time that you saw Jedi? Um, I think, from what I can remember, I think the original trilogy I saw all pretty much back-to-back uh, when they were re-released. Um, so I would have seen them all on VHS. Um, li- listeners can go back to... <laughs> One year ago, when when I was on the Empire episode, when I probably would have talked about this, but that 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 the, yeah, it's probably better to 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 go back a year to the, before any of this uh, <laughs> ever happened. Before happened. times, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. As as far as I I can remember, it was definitely on VHS was was when I would have seen it, and I kind of would have watched and rewatched them a fair bit. And it's it's one of those where if you've got all three of them, 
you know, if you're, it, I don't think there's one that I would have necessarily watched more than the others or kind of long before the others because I kind of just probably would have marathoned the three of them uh, every time. Yeah, because I, I think one of the points that you made when we talked about The Empire Strikes Back when we asked you what your favorite Star Wars movie was, your reaction was basically the last one that I watched. Um, is that Does that hold true? So is The Last Jedi right now... Sorry, is, well, the, is, is The Return of the Jedi right now your favorite Star Wars film? Well, Darren, the last one that I watched <laughs> was Return of the Jedi, which I watched to prepare for this. Yeah. So, so and, and I think, yeah, so I think what I said was that generally I go back and forth, but generally the most entertaining one is probably the freshest one in, in my memory, you know, but I think of the original trilogy, I think I would slightly favor Return of the Jedi um, ahead of Empire and, and the original because... I think it. I mean, it depends. Like Star Wars is such a broad canvas uh, that you can like. There's so much that you can get out of it. But I think what I tend to appreciate the most out of Star Wars is it being like a fun and kind of theme park kind of entertainment ride with these kind of goofy and endearing characters, which I think. Return of the Jedi lends itself to more so. Like I appreciate a lot about Empire, um, but Empire is definitely the one that uh, demands to be taken seriously. <laughs> is most. an actual movie, yes. The, um, well, well no, but that's the baggage that it has. It's like, and for the fan base and for the kind of wider, um, wider perception of it, it's like, no, this is the real movie, and the other two are Star Wars movies, and it's like, yeah, but. I, I think I definitely appreciate Return of the Jedi more because you don't have to kind of buckle up and go, oh, okay. It doesn't have any notions. Uh, like, I think if you're more into that kind of space opera grand drama stuff, then that makes sense for if Empire is your favorite. But um, I'm not as drawn to that. Um, I tend to tune out a little bit in any Star Wars movie whenever <laughs> things are getting very serious. When, when Star Wars, the stupider <laughs> Star Wars gets. <laughs> <laughs> the more I appreciate it, which may, listeners may gleam from that, uh, a lot of it where I'm coming I, I fully agree with that, Luke. I think yeah. that, you know, one of the biggest things that stood out to me in, in rewatching this was just how not lacking in stakes or pointless the, um, the, the, the whole Tatooine sequence was, but just that it, it was just a bit of fun. Like, in terms of in terms of the film, um, like w when they all meet up and and then plan to destroy the second Death Star, literally anything could have happened before that. It it's just a, a little isolated D and D campaign that they run. Yeah, yeah. I think what it, what it comes down to for me is you know the fan base and the marketing. They always refer to these movies as like a saga, and I'm not I'm not really interested in sagas. And definitely. There is a degree of personal baggage that I spoke about last year, because probably the certainly in the original trilogy, the biggest moment of, of high drama in the series is uh, Darth Vader telling Luke that he's his father, which, as I, as I mentioned last year, as a child was uh, a source of very tiresome, <laughs> repetitive uh, uh, jokes for me. Um, and I think for a lot of 
not your fault, Luke. <laughs> but I, I think a lot of people, they when they think of Star Wars, and they think of its biggest uh, character moments. That's certainly what they think of. Whereas for me, in terms of that character and kind of character moments, I look at this film and Luke going, uh, I was born here, you know, <laughs> when he's on Tatooine and, and hang on. Oh, you're going to die here as well. <laughs> that's kind of what I think of. Uh, which again, I think probably that says a lot. All right. Uh, very quickly then, just very quickly in terms of the introduction to Return of the Jedi, um, to give a bit of context for listeners so they know where the movie is coming from. Um, it was the first Star Wars movie that was reverse engineered from its release date. Um, even before Empire was released, the release date for this was set as the 27th of May, 1983, and the scheduling of the film was reverse engineered from that. They shaved six weeks off the shooting schedule compared to Empire. Um, there were a number of difficulties behind the scenes, particularly because, I think as we discussed last year, um, there were some issues with the Directors Guild where Lucas refused to put credits at the start of his movie, including even a film by Erwin Kirshner or whatever. So he resigned from the Directors Guild in protest. That meant that in order to make The Last Jedi, he needed a non-union director to do so. Uh, they were apparently quite difficult to find. When he cycled through the candidates to make his third movie, he wanted Steven Spielberg, but Steven Spielberg could not do it for contractual obligations. He approached David Lynch, who had just enjoyed great success with the Oscar-nominated The Elephant Man. Lynch said he had absolutely no interest in making a movie about Wookiees. What's a Wookiee? Um, and he also approached David Cronenberg, and Cronenberg decided that he would much rather make movies like, say, Videodrome uh, or The Brood, for example. Um, and he finally settled on Richard Marquand, um, who was a British director um, who was non-union and apparently very, very agreeable to everything that Lucas expected or wanted from a director making the movie. Um, the production schedule was cut short. There were some disagreements with key personnel during the development of the film. And we'll probably go that into that in the spoiler zone. But what's interesting about Return of the Jedi is when it was released, it generally garnered something of a shrug, both from critics and from fans. It is regarded somewhat, whether fairly or not, as the runt of the original trilogy. Um, however, I think it's interesting that, you know, we are talking with you know, I think uh, Grace and I think Luke both obviously have a big fondness for Return of the Jedi. It's interesting that its reputation has perhaps somewhat shifted in, in the years since. Um, so what do we think of that in terms of kind of, do we remember when Return of the Jedi was the weak one of the set? And how do we think that's kind of moved since then? Do we think that opinion has changed or shifted? Or is it just that it's it's the weak one of the original three, but because it's one of the original three, it's still considered better than the sequels or the prequels or, or whatever? I think, I think I always enjoyed it and became kind of aware later on that there was a special place um, for the second movie in people's kind of minds, that that was the one that was kind of the, um, the one that you're meant to kind of like most. But the, the, the I, I, think, I, think, I think it was always very apparent that like the, the Return of Jedi was, was perhaps more fun and colorful than um than 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 the previous two because I I, I I i um i don't know was it you or luke who mentioned the kind of like wide palette that star wars can paint with and that 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 it maybe didn't make sense in the first movie to do that because you're kind of establishing world and you don't want to go too wide too quickly but but this movie really does um in a way that um the sequels are want to do and um, I really um, enjoyed it. I'd, I'd, I'd be interested to think about the. I know, I know one of the things that people apparently didn't like about this 
Um, yeah. And and um, and I, I watching the movie, I thought like, no, that that was great. Yeah. But uh, yeah, and and I guess like we'll 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 there, talk about what are, that is. You, you can probably guess what it is. Yeah, there are there um, are probably two big things that fans really did not care for in Return of the Jedi. And Darren continuing his, you know, trend of being the most lightly, inoffensively controversial person on the podcast will say that those two things that fans hate about Return of the Jedi are the best things about Return of the Jedi. But we'll talk about those in the spoiler zone. So to kick us off, before we jump into the spoiler zone, three questions to get us started. So, Grace, do you think that Return of the Jedi, Return of the Jedi belongs on a list of the 250 greatest movies ever made? I'm always useless at this question. Um, Yeah. I guess. I mean, there's a pile of tripe on the list that shouldn't be on it, so I guess I'm happy that this is here at least. Um, I suppose this is one of those movies that's a bit more accessible for a wider audience, too. It's, I mean, it's fun. It's easy to look at. Um, nobody really cares outside of certain um, unpleasant corners of the dark web how you really feel about it in the long run. So, um, yeah, I'll say yes. And Luke, how about yourself? Um, I think I think everything that I appreciate about this movie is like uh, antithetical to the very idea of ranking movies on the list <laughs> of the greatest of all time. Um, so I guess on that basis, I would say no. And Andy, what about yourself? Yeah, why not? I I don't know. <laughs> 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 I mean, I'm. I, it's not often that I'm really bothered by who the director was of any particular film um but i i just looked up the uh, richard marquand and he's not a particularly illustrious filmmaker i i don't think but he's non-union yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he, he will work for scale yeah. and he won't disagree he's too yeah. vigorously like, when he's a mexican steven spielberg <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Sorry. Okay. Okay. Well, okay. To, to be fair, what happened with Empire Strikes Back is that Ir- that Irwin Irwin Kirshner um, basically had some very strong feelings about how Empire was supposed to be put together. Apparently, Lucas. All right, feck it. We're gonna have to do this now. Then. All right, Lucas. Lucas was not necessarily in the happiest place when he made Return of the Jedi. He was still massively in debt, having taken out a loan to film The Empire Strikes Back, which, as we mentioned on the podcast, somehow managed to go ridiculously over budget during filming. Um, Lucas was very adamant that this was not going to happen again. That's why he tightened the shooting schedule and why he made sure to hire a director who would not necessarily push back against any of the constraints that he would impose on him. Lucas was also going through a divorce from his wife, uh, Marsha. Um, who listeners may remember from our discussion of the original Star Wars was the editor who arguably saved the film um, in post-production. She also edits this one as well. Um, And Lucas was apparently not the nicest person to work with. There are discussions about to what extent he may have actually shadow directed the film and that he actually directed behind the scenes um, B-reel and second unit footage. Um, He also apparently gave direction to the actors, which ran contrary to what Mark Wand was doing. And he also was very much in charge of post-production, which on a film like this means that he got to have a lot of say over what actually appeared on screen. So yeah, sorry. So like that's the kind of context there, I think, behind uh, Marquand yeah. as a director. Marquand also had some conflicts with the crew in that apparently he fawned over Harrison Ford, uh, who had just arrived on the set literally from the set of... Um, he just popped over from Raiders of the Lost Ark and therefore was the bona fides movie star among the cast and crew. And Marquand was apparently starstruck. 
and he was very engaged with Ford to the detriment of absolutely everybody else on set. Apparently, Carrie Fisher and Mark Hamill felt like they were being excluded from discussions and decision making. And ironically enough, Ford himself was apparently quite pissed off that Marquand was uh, was more engaged with him than with his friends and the other people. With that whom he sounds was like typical um, Harrison so. Ford, not like, hey, you should pay more attention to my friends. Just <laughs> stop paying so much attention to me. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah. So by, by all accounts, the, the production of Return of the Jedi was not a pleasant uh, process for anybody involved. Sorry, just when you, when you mentioned Marquand there. And and McQuan, to, to give him some credit, he's shouldered a lot of blame for the, the reputation of Return of the Jedi over the years as the weak one, oh. um, in that he shouldered a lot of the burden Is for the weak. I don't think I mean, that's entirely this fair. This upsets me that but... people take this this seriously. I know I shouldn't be this surprised over Star Wars, <laughs> but the notion that like this guy who's only probably really known for directing this movie, and even then, I doubt a lot of people could name him as a director offhand, yeah. even people who know stuff about films, that this is one thing has just defined him for so long. It's like, <laughs> we just want to shake these people and be like, well, he's gross. <laughs> Lipstick. Yeah, I I mean, like... I mean, Star yeah. Wars probably lends itself to having a director that is willing to have, you know, somebody in the background. Uh, I kind of agree. Like, I, what I get from Return of the Jedi, like, really leans into the episodic nature of these episodes it's well as like, you mentioned the opening act which is uh, you know a separate adventure yeah in this it's not serial which is what we're going for like you you really get the impression that it's not like some huge sacred thing that he's doing it's like oh this is just the next one in however many films whatever yeah it doesn't have to be amazing he doesn't have to do like hours and hours of press talking about how odd yeah, yeah. it is to be, so... <laughs> to be crossing the picket well, line. Well, he, he did actually, he did do a lot of that. Uh, we have some interviews, um, but yeah, sorry. Uh, Darren, can you promise to include in the show notes David Lynch's story about <laughs> his meeting with... Uh... Yes, about Wookiees. Yes, the animated uh, YouTube version of it, which is just... About how meeting with George Lucas gave him a migraine. <laughs> <laughs> and how... Lucas took him to a super secret location where they only served salad. <laughs> I'd, I'd actually love to see Lynch direct his story of being uh, of meeting with with uh, Lucas to direct the movie and like his his lawyer kind of calling him up in shock and horror, being like, "You've just lost out on millions and millions." Of well, wasn't that part of Mulholland Drive? Yeah. <laughs> you were ever associated with an Ewok? <laughs> Chewbacca! Instead, he made the movie that we're going to be talking about next week. Slight spoilers for next week's episode. Oh, wow. Um, we're doing it. We're apparently doing it. Um, sorry, we, we cut you off there, Andy. No, I mean, like, it's... Um, that makes sense. I think Return of the Jedi would have ended up being the, the Ant-Man of Star Wars films if they'd actually got a some sort of visionary director to come on board and then probably ended up firing him when he was too competent. <laughs> yeah. like, I I just think you know, yeah. It it's not a film that really matters as much as any film really matters as much as any Star Wars film really matters. It's, I guess it's up there because it was it was more fun and creative than a lot of other films or, or big budget films. So I guess it just made its way onto the list if it were released now would it be on the 250 that's kind of the question you're asking really i 
Yeah, well, do, well, do you think that... Would you put it on a ranking of 250 best movies ever made? If you were compiling a list, whatever criteria you wanted to use, and you were to present it to, to, to us as... Yeah, well, uh, uh, as, I said la- as I said last time I was on, I'm not sure I could make a list of 250 films. Um, so, yes, by default. Yes, by default. <laughs> it's one of the 250 that I've seen. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Um, and Andrew, what about yourself? Do you think that this belongs on the list of the 250 greatest movies ever I mean, made? Yeah, kind of. It, it like um, if you're gonna have Star Wars movies, which I think you probably should, just because of the kind of cultural kind of impact of them. Like whether you like a lot of the kind of stuff that's come since, but that original trilogy, certainly. And I don't, I don't. I, I, I think if you're going to have a movie from that original trilogy, I think there's a good argument for having all three. Um, because in some ways, the first one isn't that great, and kind of as it, in, it, in some ways, and as, 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 as you say, was kind of <laughs> maybe saved by the edits a little bit, and, 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 and maybe, maybe, maybe that's kind of remarkable in itself. And this is, I don't know, it just feels more Star Warsy than um, than Empire Strikes Back to me because it's fun and doesn't take itself too seriously, you know? But um, I guess um, because fans of Star Wars from when it was kind of out are, are now grown-ups, or for fans of Star Wars who grew up with, they want to kind of, uh, I suppose, like Empire Strikes Back more. And because it's 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 a bit more serious, but yeah, sure, why not have have, have this from the top All right, um, I'm going to be uh, staggeringly conventional here and say no, I don't think that it does. I think that uh, I think Andrew's right. There's probably an argument for there being at least a Star Wars film on the list. I think that there's an argument for the original Star Wars because it was the first and was like with Jaws, one of the movies that redefined, you know, what movies could be in terms of like blockbusters. It defined American cinema for the, well, up until the present day, really, by defining the kind of movies that got made and made monies through the studio system. Um, and then obviously Empire Strikes Back is, and I, Luke is entirely right that the the onus of being an actual film on it or whatever um, but I, I do think it's a better film. I think it's the best film of the entire set of Star Wars movies by a considerable margin. And Return of the Jedi, I, I like a lot, but I, I think there are very serious problems with it. I think that it, in some ways, and not in the ways that fans think, but in ways that I think, is responsible for some of the issues uh, that have plagued the Star Wars franchise since. I think you can trace a lot of the issues with what Star Wars became and how certain fans came to think about Star Wars back to Return of the Jedi as ground zero of that, uh, in that it's the point at which the franchise stops pushing outwards, starts looking inwards, and starts just revisiting and retreading old ground, which is remarkable three films into a franchise. All right, then. Second question. Um, so, <laughs> so, Grace, would it be on your own personal 250? Um, yeah, I guess so. I don't know. I don't think I could list 250 movies. Like, I struggle with doing an end of year top 10 because I think. Oh, you could. I think. You've certainly seen tons of movies, right? I have, yeah. But I, I find ranking things inherently capitalist in a way that I disagree with. So I like to attribute a non specific equal value to a bunch of different things rather than ranking them from 1 to 250, for example. But I do like this movie, so yeah, I'd probably throw it on a list. You wouldn't let it starve. 
you would give it the same universal token that every movie gets. Um, <laughs> yep. Yeah. Including The Last Jedi. Um, the Last Jedi would not be on this list. And if I could burn every copy of it in existence, I would. But let's All right. The... <laughs> and Luke, what about yourself? Would Return of the Jedi be on your personal 250? Your own personal 250 favorite movies ever? Probably what would happen, Darren, is that I would start making that list of my favorite 250 movies of all time. Uh, and then at a certain point maybe 30 or 40% in, Disney would get in touch with me and say, this list isn't deferential enough to the original Star Wars trilogy. <laughs> and we're concerned about the optics uh, of this. Of, and then I would be replaced. I would be fired. And then the person that would come in, would they would have Return of the Jedi very high on that list. Uh, Empire would be number one. Star Wars number two. Um, Return of the Jedi. So we're really glad to welcome special guest co-host John Favreau to the podcast. Yeah. Thank you for joining so, us, John. Solo would be number four. Solo <laughs> Star Wars. John, John Favreau has no problem getting invited to Disney Day. No, absolutely no problem getting invited to Disney. He is Disney Day, Andrew. He is Disney Day. Um, all right then. And then, what about yourself, Andy? Would it be on your own personal two fifty? Oh, and you know, would that has that answer changed as you've gotten older, as you kind of implied? Is it there for nostalgic reasons yeah. now? Um, would child Andy? Oh, have yeah, it it's there for nostalgic reasons now. I'm I'm thinking like not not as a a ranking system, but a pool. What I would call what I would call desert island downloads. <laughs> like I I need. Um, yeah, I need I need the Desert Island Discs presenter before Lauren Laverne to um to to come and ask me if what, what my 250 Desert Island movies would be, and then that would be Return of the Jedi would definitely be on it for um for sentimental reasons. There's there's also 250 restaurants on this island. <laughs> it's a pretty yes. nice island. <laughs> Really more of a peninsula, uh, to be honest. And Andrew, what about yourself? Would it be on your own personal 250? I've just checked, and it's not on my 250, you know. I do, I do like that Andrew has finally <laughs> taken the step of actually writing a 250. We can hear the rustling of paper over the microphone. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> Me checking my 250, and no, it's... Uh, uh, all uh, signs are negative. Um, yeah, and yeah no, I... like, it's fun, but um, I don't, like... Um, I, I don't know if I'd... I'd probably watch this again, you know. I, I ended up buying it on um, on YouTube. I didn't have to get Disney Plus. Um, and I imagine now um, Disney can't take it away from me. But Google Unless can. It, <laughs> Google can, definitely. Um, and I imagine I would watch it again. Imagine especially, like, if, if, I, if I were babysitting. Like, uh, I, I, I'd, I'd want to watch it. And I'd say a kid would enjoy it too, like of the yeah. right age, you know? So yeah, I'd, I'd, um, yeah, yeah. But it wouldn't be on my um, 250, I don't think. Yeah, it probably wouldn't be on, on mine either. Um, I think we talked on the podcast before, I was not necessarily a Star Wars kid growing up. Um, I like Return of the Jedi. I think it's charming. I think it's goofy. I think it's playful. I think it's fun. Um, it just doesn't have that same nostalgic kind of hold for me that it has for a lot of people. Um, and of the original three, I think it's certainly the weakest. Um, 
And it's probably the only movie in the original three I would comfortably say is weaker than at least one movie in both the prequel and the sequel trilogies. All right, then. Uh, and then final round of questions. Oh, wow. Uh, you'll, you'll have to name those. <laughs> I am. <laughs> I know. I was just going to leave it in suspense there. Listeners, write your answers down now and we'll come back in about five minutes. Um, all right, then. And Grace, if listeners have not seen Return of the Jedi, or even if they have, would you recommend that they pause the podcast and stream it to a local device? Um, yeah. Why not? I mean, it probably helps if you've seen the other two before it, before you watch it. Although, I'm not sure if I had seen Empire before I watched this. Maybe I had. I don't remember. But, um, yeah, I, I don't think it's two hours of your life that, that doesn't merit spending some time with Star Wars. I think it's actually interesting because I think both yourself um, and also Luke and Andy mentioned that you saw Return of the Jedi, like, possibly first. Like, you didn't necessarily see them in, in order. Or at least Andy did as well. I think Andy said he saw this first as well. So is like I think this is watchable having not seen the other two. I think it's acceptable. Hundred percent. All right then. And Luke, what about yourself? Would you recommend listeners pause the podcast and stream Return the Jedi, Return of the Jedi to a local device? Um, if they've already seen it, I would say yeah, because it's a it's a fun time. Um, it's kind of it's a quick kind of two hours, and it's it is one of the more fun entries in the series. I think what I said last year is that if you're an adult and you've never seen a Star Wars movie before, you're probably good. <laughs> like, you probably... <laughs> I don't, like, I, listeners, after the spoilers on, I promise I will be enthusiastic <laughs> about this. Uh, but, but Probably a point of pride if somebody hasn't seen it. Well, they're like an adult. That, or it's just not their kind of thing that, that they're into. I, I, I can't... I know that when the the sequel series came out, that very much was like an entry point for people that hadn't previously engaged with Star Wars a lot. Um, And like, Mm -hmm. it's really good at that, particularly The Force Awakens. Um, So if you have, you know, I'd say that if you hadn't seen any Star Wars movies before, either the very first one or The Force Awakens, I would say, yeah. But if you never, if you're a grown up, (laughs) for a lot of reasons, this is not, the the place to start i would say still good though don't don't <laughs> switch off the podcast yet listen. <laughs> <laughs> and andy what about yourself would you recommend that listeners pause the podcast and watch return the return of the why am i having difficulty with that return of the jedi well, pause this sweet content and go and watch a 30 year old film 40 year old film no um I mean, don't don't pause this. It's certainly nothing to rush about. Um, just be warned. I think we've all sort of touched on this. It's a children's film, and all all discussion of every Star Wars film ever made needs to take that into account. People talk about I get in like, such trouble. People talk about them like they're high art, and they are enjoyable. But um, you know. I enjoy it as much as I would politely disagree Andy the Empire Strikes Back is like a 12 year old (laughs) (laughs) that's preteen yeah it's a preteen film not a children's film um but no, actually, yeah, Andy does raise a good point. I suspect we'll talk about it in the spoiler zone. Um, but yeah, that is that is the thing about the return Return of the Jedi, and I imagine, I suspect that's a large part of why the reaction against it at the time was so strong was because the original Star Wars was, yes, in Lucas's own words, a children's film. And then The Empire Strikes Back was a teenager's film. 
And to a certain extent, it had grown up in the three years with that. So children who had gone to see the first Star Wars, then three years later went to see Empire. It was a movie that was kind of like that young preteen angst sensibility. And then they go and see Return of the Jedi three years after that. Suddenly they're 17 now. And it is just as much a children's film as the original Star Wars, but they are six years older. And I wonder if that was probably one of the reasons why Return of the Jedi enjoyed the reputation or did not enjoy the same reputation as the other two. If the fact that the audience had kind of grown up to a certain point and felt embarrassed by the childishness of it. And that's probably something that affects the prequel trilogy as well, because in 1999, you had the same thing happening with The Phantom Menace, which is arguably just as much a children's film but was being watched by adults who had waited their entire adult life for this moment and perhaps felt a little bit uh, put off by the fact that they were suddenly watching a children's film. Oh, I I agree. Um, But I think it's important to point out that being a children's film doesn't mean that it's bad and it's not okay to make bad children's films. Yes, both of those things are important. And yes, The Phantom Menace is a bad children's film. Agreed. To be absolutely, yeah, just to be clear, yeah. Sorry, Andrew. It's got all that boring stuff in it. Tax, taxation of trade routes, Andrew. And also racism. Yeah. But primarily taxation of trade routes. Right, yeah, so much racism. <laughs> like, kids, kids don't like racism. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. Put them right off. Um, but yeah. Um, all right. And Andrew, what about yourself? Would you recommend that listeners watch Return of the Jedi? Yeah, I, I really enjoyed watching this um, um, a lot. And like it, 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 it is, um, uh, it is, it is quite silly. It, it, it did like it didn't feel it didn't feel very long. Um, I'd, I'd recommend that people um, stop the podcast unsubscribe then resubscribe um leave <laughs> a five star numbers. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, and watch the movie um i like that you and... put watch the movie after the five star review just so you got your priorities right. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah do all those things yeah I'd, I'd recommend i'd recommend people do that yeah um yeah and I, w- I, would, I would echo all that. I would wholeheartedly recommend this. It is a lot of fun. It is a joy. It is a blast from beginning to end. It is also, I would argue endearingly, like Lucas's freak flag allowed to fly as high as it can. Sometimes not always to great effect, but I mean, it is very, very much in line with Lucas's sensibilities as a filmmaker. And those are things that I generally admire, even if I don't always agree with them. And it's good to see them allowed to go kind of full throttle. So yes. And again, much like what Andy said, I think this is a children's film, but it is, that's nothing to be ashamed of. And there's nothing wrong with being a children's film. Um, And I think it's a good children's film as well. All right, then with that in mind, then we will segue neatly into the spoiler zone. The spoiler zone. No, <laughs> that doesn't sound at all like that. <laughs> How does he even sound? Does anyone want to try this? Eh, spoiler is so Who no. are you doing? <laughs> I think Palpatine. I was trying I think to do like, like Ian, Ian McDermott, but um, <laughs> I think he's no, going yeah, think uh, for Palpatine, yeah. I think I was, yeah, yeah, yeah. Never mind. Spoiler zone! <laughs> All right, 
So, Andy, what is Return of the Jedi about for you? Is it about anything? Um... <laughs> okay, Luke, what is Return <laughs> of the Jedi I... about for you? <laughs> I have some ideas. <laughs> I have plenty of ideas. I'll throw it to Andrew. It's about family. Uh, yeah, come... Come back to me. I think I think talking, hearing you guys talk will jog a few ideas that I've had in the past. But off off the cuff, All right. it's it's about space battles. It is a very one dimensional movie. Okay. Um. Before before we jump in on that, Grace, what about yourself? Would do you? What is Return Jedi about? Um. I'd probably say it's about the same thing that all Star Wars movies are about to some extent. Very simplistic, good versus evil, heroism versus villainy kind of battle, um, which is one of the things that I think makes the the series as a whole so endearing. Is that it's just a very simplistic, like do the right thing against the bad guy um, kind of story. And I think Return of the Jedi does it in a nice, satisfying way. Plus, it has that nice redemption arc for um, Darth Vader, which kind of touches on some of the more familial relationships in the series. And I know that's something that I think um, a lot of people invest in the film emotionally because they associate them with family so things like that i think have, have a certain resonance for audiences too yeah the, the kind of dad stuff i think that andrew's kind of classified star wars as, as daddy of, issues yeah oh, yes. like you know the stereotype of most western culture but yes a lot of uh, star wars stuff, the wonders of the patriarchy yeah um, I, I i would say a lot of it is about family in that way because it's it, it's not just about luke kind of reconciling the fact that Darth Vader is his dad and, you know, redeeming his dad and all that. It's also about, you know, like, the, I mean, the main kind of narrative thrust of the film and, like, its biggest re revelation is that, like, Leia is his sister and, like, even even him rescuing, them, them all going to rescue Han at the start of the film, it's very much informed by this, like, like, what Luke wants as the central character is no longer informed by this kind of his kind of destiny of being a Jedi or kind of wanting to to get involved in this super exciting Star War. It's about the people that he's closest to and about this this kind of found family mm -hmm. kind of a thing. And like rescuing Han is like it's a very brotherly kind of relationship that they develop over the three films. And it's like the fact that that's the priority at the start for all these characters ahead of you know space plans and bothons and death stars and all that um i think speaks to where the main characters particularly luke find themselves no i was going to say that's it's very true because like a lot of the things that they that they do doesn't have much to do with um the empire like, or the like, rebellion or the mythology or anything like that yeah yeah like like, like the it's a funny kind of a, 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 a series of movies because there's always something happening that's meant to be very important but kind of isn't you know like the the the, the, the that the that there well, I mean, there's, there's a, there's a, that there's a very kind of a family drama yeah. happening in a room somewhere and but the, the whole fate of the universe is being decided and has nothing to do with what's happening in the room. 
Yeah, it's just outside the window um, in the background. Like, I mean, to pick a small example, there's a moment early on where they're talking about the plans to attack Death Star 2. And it's all very in-depth. And it's like, oh, General Solo will be leading a separate expedition. And then Luke walks into the room. And everybody's like, hey, Luke, how are you? And he's like, yeah, that's great. It's great to be back. And, like, the real sense is there's no sense that the briefing continues past that point. It's just like, (laughs) hey, Luke's back. Yeah. Yeah, Luke slides into the room like Kramer, and that's the end of the scene. (laughs) That's the end. Yeah, that's the end of the briefing. It's like... Good, the good plan briefing, was guys. the exact same before he came in, and like, <laughs> like they were going to do it without him, and they end up doing it without him. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, and it, it's 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 quite kind of strange in in that respect, really. Um, I have I I have an idea about what the movie is about. That's a bit more Darren-y. Okay. Well, can it's we can we the, stay on the, this? Can we stay on this for a moment before we get to the Darren-y stuff? Um. But just just on this point, I have a pet theory about Star Wars. And my theory is that every generation gets the Star Wars movie that it deserves. And every Star Wars movie reflects wider pop culture and what's happening. It sounds very Darren-y, Darren. It it does, I'm sorry. Um, So, you know, we talked about on, like, the New Hope podcast, how the original Star Wars about, like, the the disappointment of Watergate, Vietnam, and the moon landing all rolled (laughs) up into one little ball and kind of served up in this used future where, like, the dreams of, like... Disappointment about the moon landing. Yeah, where the idea that, you know, the American future was going to be fantastic and brilliant was instead allowed to rust and decay. Then you have, three years later, The Empire Strikes Back rolls up, and that's all of a sudden very Reagan-esque at its core. You know, you have Landel Calrissian as a small businessman who's just trying to make his breaks before the government busts his balls with taxation and regulation, coming in and big government telling him what to do. At the same time, you have Luke as the prototypical Generation Xer who just wants to tune off, check in and check out, and basically go and study a, a major in PE and a minor in Eastern Buddhist philosophy at the University of Dagobah with his tutor Yoda, and he can't even finish that at the same time his dad emperor you know lord vader is saying hey i want you to come run the family business with me and luke's saying i don't want any part of that man that's your kind of early 80s generation x stuff and i mean obviously you can continue on stuff like say the force awakens or things like say the last jedi being about the rise of the alt-right and the moment of like the rise of fascism in america and stuff like that but with return the jedi arriving in 1983 I wonder if this is the point at which the franchise truly truly embraces that kind of 80s me-centricness. Where all of a sudden, as Luke mentioned, that idea of going out and changing the world that was a product of kind of like late 60s idealism fading into 70s cynicism, that's completely gone. And at the core of it, Luke Did goes Luke off... Did Luke mention that? I thought Luke mentioned family. <laughs> um, no, no Luke, Luke mentioned that Luke had... Sorry, there were two Lukes. Luke mentioned that Skywalker... Um, had basically, at the, you know, in Star Wars had been like, I'm going to join the Rebellion, I'm going to fly, I'm going to explore the galaxy. And how by the time we reach Return of the Jedi, that's completely gone by the sidelines. And Luke is just like, I'm going to hang out with my brother. I'm going to resolve my issues with my dad. I'm going to have my surrogate family gathered around me. We're going to sit around a fire and it's going to be very cool. And I wonder if you can see in Return of the Jedi the emergence of very much the me decade, where it's like, don't worry about like the legacy of Watergate and Vietnam. Don't worry about social unrest. Don't worry about the fact that the world or the United States is a cruel and uncomfortable place. Instead, worry about yourself, man. And like at the core of that, you have this idea in Return of the Jedi about this idea of redemption of Vader, uh, which is something I find very interesting, where Vader redeems himself at the climax of the movie. 
And in doing so, you know, he proves to Luke that there was a good man underneath all along, that Luke was wrong to have all these dad issues tied up in the fact that his father was a space Nazi. And Luke can go on, burn his dad's body and live his life afterwards. But what's interesting about that is that, like, even Vader's redemption, such as it is, is all tied up in that me, me, me stuff where it's like Vader doesn't redeem himself by ordering the Empire to surrender at the Battle of Endor. He doesn't, you know, redeem himself by turning himself into the authorities to be sentenced or to to apologize to his victims. He he basically redeems himself by refusing to allow Luke to be electrocuted to death and throwing the Emperor to his death in order to save his son, which is not necessarily the most selfless thing in the world to do. But in the eyes of Luke, that's enough to redeem him. And then he has yeah, this it's punk- a it's a weird kind of redemption because Vader looks at Luke and says, he, he, kind of, you were, you were right about me. I'm a pretty decent guy, actually. Yeah. though, watch that, watch that final scene. What's that final scene between Luke and Vader? The key emphasis on that isn't, I'm sorry, I did wrong, I made a mistake. Yeah. It's, you were right. Luke, it's important for I'm you to I'm a good guy. You were Yeah, but like, not even that. It's the, tell your sister... And it's not tell your sister that I love her. Tell your sister that I'm sorry. Tell your sister that I made a mistake. It's tell your sister you were right about me. As if to say, Luke, just so you know, you're okie dokie. You're top tier. You're, you're king of the universe. Just so we're cool. That's beautiful, man. I mean, Darren, this is, this is all total bullshit. Like, you have to know that. Like, yeah, these I'm are sorry. kids' <laughs> movies. Yeah. These are not academic treatises about politics and the culpability of the individual versus the mass indifference of society in a world that they have no influence over. (laughs) Like, I remember when we did the A New Hope thing and you were like, Luke is a terrible person because he just thinks about himself like a normal teenager instead of like joining up to fight the rebellion against the evil fascist first order. Like, I mean, and as I said to you then, by that reading, we are all individually culpable for not being in like the Peace Corps or something right now to fight the various things happening all over the world. Like you cannot attribute this level of symbolism to something that as you say, is a kid's movie. You have to look at it through the eyes of young people who look at their parents and see flawed individuals, but through the misguided nature of love, still want to feel like they're good people somewhere in there. Like that's just basic psychology. Okay, hold on. Just, just, just in my own in my own defense, very quickly, what I would say is I accept all of that. I would just ask that George Lucas wouldn't make like a trilogy in which I save the universe by not joining the Peace Corps. That's that's all that I would ask. Oh, sorry, Darren. I, I just I just say in response to your your generation me theory, um, you said there oh they 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 just decide to to kind of sit around the, the fire and all that. They, they do actually take the time to finish this war as well. <laughs> I, just, <laughs> I would just point that out, first of all. They, 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 they crossed all the T's. They... And in true kids movie fashion, they get an army of teddy bears to help them. Yeah, they, mean... they blew up the Death Star. They did I, make sure to I... actually sort all that out first. Uh, hold on, have you not watched the sequel trilogy well, or The Mandalorian? <laughs> In this movie, in this movie, yeah, we're... they do, they do see it through. <laughs> um, and, uh, and then took time for a nice picnic with friends. Yeah, and there were absolutely no consequences. The emperor didn't come back from the dead. There was no sequel trilogy. 
Like, I know pe people say, like, the problem with the sequel trilogy is that it undermines the ending of the original trilogy. It undermines the moral victory that they win here. I actually quite like that because I like that, you know, the ending here is a personal ending. It's not a bigger ending than that. Like, I all they do is... Okay. A bigger... The, 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 because I, I, I think kind of um, going to your point about this being a movie of its time, um, I, like... I agree with Grace that it it is a kids movie and it would be wrong to um ascribe too much um meaning to to parts of it but that if you wanted to you would go with what what Obi-Wan Kenobi the kind of wise man is saying about um about Vader cuz he he's saying that he's more machi more machine than man um and I think that this is the kind of 80s kind of preoccupation with the industrialized world's destruction of the human spirit. Like the, that there's like a little of a germ of it. Like Robocop, exactly. <laughs> uh, but that but but that that's the thing, is 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 that is that Vader has become more more machine now than man, but the, but that there's something kind of he's become part of the system. You, he's become in, part of the machine, would you say? Yeah, but he, he his humanity can't be extinguished, but so like in Robocop, be chained, yes. yeah. <laughs> and also, and also, you have you you have a robot getting getting um, getting blown up, and just its legs are walking around, like Ed two hundred nine in Robocop. So um, yeah, the, that's the, okay. that the, 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 that's what kind of places the movie in in, in, in the, the context of the eighties for me. Um, Andy, sorry, did we cut you off there? No, no, I've just been enjoying this. Uh, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm not sure that I have to add in terms of what, what is it about, except to say that, yeah, I, I don't think, I don't think the Luke and Vader stuff is what the film's about. I think that is, that's, a, that's the B plot for this episode. Yeah. I, Wait, hold on. The Luke and Vader stuff is the B plot. Right? Yeah. I thought that's the hinge. I would have thought it's the hinge on which the movie pivots. I mean, they they force you. They yeah. They kind of force you to think of it that way because, you know, looking back on it in the context of the prequels and the sequels, oh, it's and, all about and everything. Else, it's all stuff. about the the Skywalker saga, but it is not. It's about the people who blow up the Death Star yeah. and Luke and Vader. That that whole that whole thing can happen anywhere, anytime. I agree. I agree with Andy. Like that's that's the thing I liked about Rogue Squadron, is that they take it away from this kind of um, royal family, sort of like Hello Magazine, sort of. Um, <laughs> and, um, you won't believe and, who Luke's father is this week. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, and 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 that and that what this the 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 kind of like important stuff in 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 Star Wars is kind of yeah if you think about it sort of it, it's it's happening in like, space i i don't i don't can i get like really like like i noticed a small fact geeky about about this without that's what we do without we trying do. to claim that this is a huge like thematic um shift or 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 in any way important but um so Vader senses that Luke is present on on the ship that goes to Endor. He then travels to yeah, on the, the Death Star, where the Emperor is just chilling, and he says, 
well, the, the first thing the emperor says to him is, I told you to wait on the command ship. So if, if Luke hadn't gone on this mission with the group, Vader would have been on the command ship. They would have, the, the strike team would have landed, still overcome the problems that they faced because they didn't have Luke for that anyway. And the Emperor would have died on the Death Star. Vader would have lived. That's not to say that there's a, an alternate story where Vader has more adventures, just that <laughs> the fact that Vader and Luke were fighting on the Death Star is completely coincidental to the plot of the film. Can I, can I like, again, I promise this will be my last... I hate yeah, Luke Skywalker. Yeah. I, don't, I don't actually hate Luke Skywalker, but all this makes it sound like I hate Luke Skywalker. <laughs> the interesting thing, to bring it back to the me stuff at the heart of this, right? So Luke... It's a trap. It's a trap. So Luke, in at the end of Empire, is able to communicate with Vader telepathically. He knows that Vader can sense him when he's on a ship near where Vader is. He also knows that the Emperor is around the Death Star Mark II, and he probably a good guess that Vader's going to be hanging around there as well, right? So he goes on the mission anyway. He volunteers himself on the mission, knowing that's a possibility. He gets on the shuttle. Vader senses him. He's like, I shouldn't have come. Vader's going to sense me, which gives away the fact that their strike team is heading there anyway. Now, the fact it's a trap set by the Emperor turns out to like make this a complete moral whatever. It doesn't really matter. It's not a big deal. Luke's transgression or Luke doesn't jeopardize the mission because it was always in jeopardy. But anyway, Luke goes off. They land on the surface. Luke is like, hey, wait, I feel really bad about this. I think that maybe Vader sensed me when I was up there. What I'm going to do is I'm going to turn myself into the Imperial authorities while you guys, who I volunteered to help on this mission as a Jedi, a Jedi Knight, the last Jedi Knight in the universe, and who might actually be helpful in terms of this thing that you're doing to destroy the Emperor and bring down and bring freedom and peace to the galaxy. I'm just going to like excuse myself from this at this point, just so we're clear. I'm going to turn myself over to an Imperial patrol, who, by the way, will probably realize that I'm not here alone. It's not, there's not only like one Jedi hanging in the wooden end door. So he kind of surrenders and then gets kind of like brought up and all that. And like, obviously the way the movie's structured, it's a trap set by the Emperor. The Emperor always knew the rebels were going to be there. It was designed to lure them in anyway. That all excuses Luke. But if you look at how Luke operates, all of Luke's assumptions when he's working on this plot to infiltrate the Endor moon is, again, that me, me, me idea. It's primarily about I, him and his daddy issues yeah, and everything else. I, is... I mean, like, I kind of get that, but at the same time, I think it... it we're going too deep into character stuff here Sorry. for a kid <laughs> film. But, like, the... Luke doesn't consider himself to be important. We think Luke's important because, again, in in context, we think that the Jedi is, like, the most powerful member of the team. But it's he's demonstrably pretty handy but they they also have you know a, a whole band of of rogues who presumably their speciality is breaking into bases and blowing things up i love that sequence where when they're the teddy bears yeah, yeah. Plus like, the, te- plus plus the teddy bears like yeah. like i because you know you know not so secretly me and andrew have this this dalliance where we played the indeed together um and it's beautiful and romantic as it sounds. Um, but, Great. you know, if, let's say, I'm sure there are people listening out there who've made this comparison and don't agree with like the, the class I would say a Jedi is, but let's say you've got a paladin on your team. He can do magic, blah, blah, blah. He's not necessarily the most powerful person on the team, 
And if, if the paladin of a group decided to go away and do something else while the other equally highly skilled people who just have different skills want to keep doing the other thing, that, that doesn't destroy the team. Counterpoint to that, though, would be that, like, the entire... You, you mentioned the entire separate teaser sequence on Tatooine, and it is completely unrelated to a large part of the plot outside of getting Han back, but it does exist largely to demonstrate how essential Luke is, in that, like, Leia infiltrates and gets caught as part of a larger ruse, or two is sent in early ahead carrying the lightsaber as part of a central ruse, and the whole crux of the entire plan is not getting Chewbacca in, it's not getting Lando in, it's not moving everybody into position, it's Luke catching the lightsaber and, like, destroying the bards. Luke is, like, very much the overpowered kind of player on this Okay, team. no, I, I, can, I can get Okay, I think sorry. you're actually, yeah, sorry to cut across, no. but I think the thing that I find weird about this take, Darren, is that you presuppose that characters that are supposed to be human, yes, in a space, other galaxy, whatever, won't behave like humans, but that they'll behave like moral ciphers. Like human beings are stupid and they make ser- terrible personal selfish decisions all of the time. And I would argue that the way the characters act in Star Wars and Luke in this case is reflective of that. And that's one of the things that makes them endearing and recognizable. You may not agree with what they do. You may not see yourself doing the same thing in that situation, but it makes them seem like characters with emotions and grudges and baggage and all of the things that actually acts upon a normal human being's brain to make them make self-serving decisions. And I think as well that opening gambit, I would not read it necessarily as being about showing Luke to be all powerful. I think that's a nice bit of group banter, (laughs) a better way of putting it. It's just people coming together, having a bit of crack, like (laughs) establishing those kind of bonds again. And yeah, like liberating Han and, and, you know, horribly objectifying Leia in the process. But um, yeah, I wouldn't read it as being about showing that Luke is super brilliant and powerful all of a sudden. Sorry, twice now. Sorry. No, this is the second time it's happened. Somebody has said that that the... the, all that, all, all the stuff on Tatooine was a lot of crack. It was a lot of crack for people who survived. Yeah. Okay, well, okay, well, okay. We're gonna, we'll come sal- with... salacious crumb or Ula. Uh, we'll come back. We'll come back to this in a in a moment or the rack the ran- <laughs> rancor. Okay, what what I will say to the Grace's point actually is that I, I I general I agree actually with a lot of what Grace said there, which is I think that like Luke being fallible and human is the most interesting thing about him. Luke being a little brat is the most interesting thing about him. And this is where I think that there's a difference or a disconnect between how the movies are seen and what they are. In that I think that it's a very clear line from the Luke in the original trilogy through to the one in The Last Jedi, who mopes off on a planet by himself because he's not the centre of the universe anymore and because he's not actually Superman. Um, And the version that we see in the original trilogy, the only difference is that I think those later movies realise that about Luke and these ones don't. I think these ones don't necessarily... I think that complexity comes afterwards when people look at this. Sorry, Luke, you look like you're smiling. I, I just... In terms of, like, Luke's um, arc, and, you know, I, th- I, I, I would agree that he, he largely stays a kind of petulant... Um, you know, fallible character. Um, but... But in terms of this film, like you, you were saying that you know Darth Vader at the end is very like tell everyone that you were right. I was a great guy. <laughs> I, I just wanted to kind of dispute that a bit because to, 
too needlessly dig into the the characters and the morality and everything of Star Wars. Like it is a very simple story of um, good and evil. And in terms of the character arcs and the moral arcs, what is significant is that at the end of Empire, Darth Vader tries to get you know Luke to join his side, evil, <laughs> and he <laughs> fails. And at the end of this film, however that it, it comes about, Luke succeeds in what he's trying to do, which is to get you know Darth Vader to join the goodies side. <laughs> And but 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 what you know, which is something that nobody else thinks is possible, and and the characters that have been previously established as the kind of intellectual and spiritual um, points of reference, Yoda and um, Obi Wan, Obi Wan, explicitly are like that's a bad idea. That's like, you gotta go kill your dad. <laughs> like also, uh, we totally. Yeah, we didn't screw up by concealing that information from you. Um, it's like, not a like, retcon. It's Vader, not a retcon. I think what he's like. I, 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 the point there is not you were right. I'm great, and like I'm actually a good guy. The the point is that you were right to try and do what you did to try to turn me. You know, and that is naive. These are movies for babies about lasers, but. <laughs> That's that I think is the point is that it is you you were correct to try to you know turn me to the white hats again um like the the very fact that Vader is set up to be this like like as soon as you look at his silhouette, you know that he's evil you know? <laughs> um and like within the universe, the idea that this terrifying robot lightning man um <laughs> actually has any humanity to him is like it's it's designed to be completely uh antithetical to, to the to worldview of every character so it's supposed to be the moral triumph of the series i guess that that luke goes from oh, i want to shoot at the baddies because i'm bored <laughs> to like <laughs> it's worth trying to actually find the, yeah. to, to find the good in in in, in you know what seems like a hopeless situation like like the emperor is this like all living in embodiment of evil and everything um and it is it's it's a refutation to his worldview that like relying on family and relying on goodness and relying on personal connections is, is something worth doing other than other than relying on your supposed brilliance and your lightning powers I I think he's a more complicated character than that. Like, there's the whole scene where he goes back to Dagobah to kill Yoda, like completely <laughs> uh, needlessly. Well, you know, okay. Well, the reason the Dagobah sequence exists is because Lucas apparently consulted child psychologists, and they said that there was no way that children would accept that Vader was uh, Luke's daddy unless an older character explained it to him. And he was like, crap, Obi-Wan's dead. Who have we got? Yoda. Yoda will tell him that he's his daddy. And then um, to make really sure, he brings back the other older character. To go, uh, no, I mean, I kind of did tell you. <laughs> so, your dad was dead. Yeah, yeah. I did um, feel like Alec Guinness was a, like a lying son of a bitch who needs to kind of fess up to us at that point. <laughs> and he was like... Kind of, yeah, I'm sorry. Instead, he's like, but I do tell you. Um, it's not my fault if you misunderstood it. Yeah, yeah, if you were listening, you would have understood. Um, yeah. 
from a certain point of view, this totally from wasn't a, a retcon. The entire Star Wars saga was plotted well in advance with absolutely no last minute patches that completely fixed or altered what was going on. It was um, all part of my plan. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, well, we actually, look, I, I have some stuff about Luke I want to come back to, particularly with regards to Leia. But before we do that, is it worth Let's discussing? talk about how cool the movie was. Okay, 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 fine. Like Ewoks are cool. That's a really good. Yes, they're Ewoks like are phenomenal. They're like teddy bears. Those tree uh, houses they're, are boss. They're um, teddy bear Viet Cong. That's, the, that's yeah. the beautiful thing. Like 1983, like that thing that like American cinema did in the late 70s and 80s, which was, well, we lost Vietnam, but we don't have to feel bad about it. So what we're going to do is we're going to appropriate Vietnam. We're going to restage movies where American heroes get to be the Viet Cong. So in Predator, Arnold Schwarzenegger playing an American commander gets to be like engaged in guerrilla jungle warfare against a technological superior foe. In Die Hard, you have it inside a skyscraper, the plucky kind of like low tech kind of goon taking on a vastly superior and outnumbering force even in say rambo you have the vietnam veteran who comes home and is hunted through the forest by a tactical superior force and again in in here you have but in die hard you have an actual vietnam veteran who gets his helicopter blown up out of stupidity yeah, yeah. <laughs> that is true um, yeah but again you, so yeah you have this kind of contrast between yeah agent johnson and agent johnson whereas that i was in grade school jackass um but yeah, you have this kind of idea of kind of like reappropriating Vietnam and restaging it where America or our heroes get to be the underdogs. So here you have the Viet Cong, but they're presented as cuddly, adorable, toyetic teddy bears that you are going to have in everybody's Christmas hump, bumper, bumper this year. Which, which wasn't that far from the truth. Like. <laughs> Does that make the Emperor Lyndon B. Johnson? Or, <laughs> or Richard Nixon. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I think Richard Nixon... Well, no, but, like, the Emperor has that big throne. Johnson had his toilet. Yeah. Yeah. Dictating orders from his porcelain throne. Well, you know that um, the Emperor was named for the character in Taxi Driver, uh, Palantine, but they just had to change it for legal reasons. <gasps> is, is that legit? Because yeah. I hadn't, like, I noticed the similarity. And yeah. I... Like, Ooh, I didn't even, okay. I didn't even know that um... this was a Scorsese movie. <laughs> and here you thought we'd finally escape Scorsese season after. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Oh on God. the back of that, this is my favorite Scorsese movie, Darren. <laughs> <laughs> we finally answered the question. But let's, let's talk about the Ewoks, because the Ewoks are, they're one of, when I mentioned at the start, the things that fans hate about Return of the Jedi that are the best yeah. things about Return of the Jedi, the Ewoks are phenomenal and this is, this is the thing where they're hated by fans because they're seen as being childish and goofy and they get in the way of what's meant to be a big point but they are actually are the point where like you have this idea of you know star wars as this metaphor for vietnam and this indigenous population that is te- you know less more primitive and less advanced in inverted commas as gaze through the lens of america in 1970-1980 but t- there was me thinking they were just things that they could sell as toys also that uh, crucially well they were originally supposed to be they were originally supposed to be the real evil here is not a vietnam (laughs) allegory it's american (laughs) capitalism Um, we'll come back to that because there's a lot to talk about about like the toyetic nature of the movie but the thing that i adore about ewoks is that like i mentioned it'll never come back i have a list andrew i'm keeping track but we have um (laughs) the thing about the thing about ewoks which is so great is that like i mentioned george lucas's weird sensibilities right lucas asks you to like, there's a moment in the climax of the Battle of Endor where two Ewoks get knocked down by an explosion. One of them gets up and the other doesn't. And the movie... That was heartbreaking! That's like the best moment in all these movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah! 
it really is like the movie ramps up the score and it asks your heart to break for this little performer inside a silly fuzzy bear costume playing an allegory for the Viet Cong and it works like that's pure George Lucas that's so odd unfiltered there's no way that you could pull that off like in a more conventional movie but it works here and it works so beautifully I think it was just at the point that you were starting to feel sorry for all the stormtroopers. And I still do feel sorry for the stormtroopers. But just, just before that, you had like a scene of all these vicious Ewoks just stomping on, on stormtroopers and like, like proper, proper killing them where you can imagine like, you know, the stormtroopers' helmets just filling with blood. Um, it, it, it's not a good way to go. Yeah, well, I mean, it is worth noting it's been um, suggested that the Ewoks may have eaten all the stormtroopers because there were a lot of empty stormtrooper helmets at the climax, but no sign of anybody <laughs> in custody. And notice when the Ewoks were in... Listen, teddy bears have got to eat. They do. It's got to happen. Well, like, I mean, they're introduced trying to cook and eat the, like, the, the main characters in the movie. And they say, no, 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 don't cook and eat us. And then all of a sudden at the climax, you just have a whole bunch of stormtrooper helmets left over. Gee, I wonder what happened, huh? Huh? Does anyone care though stormtroopers get eaten? Are, we we oh, find out that not. they're not just clones, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, what we what we learn from the Force Awakens is that they're Brainwash. free range. <laughs> so I'd have to imagine that stormtroopers are delicious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're raised, they're raised in those little suits. You know, I'd have to imagine they must like taste battery great. farm stormtrooper. Um, I think they run around too much, though, um, to be, to be truly delicious. I think they would be tough. Yeah, They're always in very tight packs, so they're actually not moving <laughs> yeah. that much. They're always kind of hobbling along. They'd probably be good in a stew, like slow cook them. You could steam yeah. them in there. Yeah. I... <laughs> I, you know there's a lot of great herbs and stuff on Endor. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's very really earthy. Kind of wicked has like some, some wicked recipes, as it were. Um, and by the way, actually worth singling out there, Warwick Davis, who plays Wicked, who was 11 years old at the time and is phenomenal in the role. Um, and by the way, quick thing about the, the Ewoks. Um, and this is one of the things from Andrew's cheating memory. One of Lucas's big problems with the Ewoks was that he couldn't get them to blink. He found it very disturbing and unsettling. So guess what Lucas did in 2011 when he reissued the, the original trilogy on Blu-ray? He added CGI uh, blinking Ewoks, um, which is great. Don't tell me that blinking technology wasn't available in 1997. <laughs> 1983. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm talking about for the, for the, uh, for the re-releases in the 90s. For the first, for the they easily one. could have made them blink in the 90s. Yeah. The, like, that certainly, like, he gets a pass for that. Yeah. Because I, I didn't really notice it, but that the the whole um, bit on Tatooine, where they call it like digitally enhanced, but it's like digitally dehanced <laughs> or unhanced. Um, it's totally handsless. Okay, so you're talking um, about the, the that, size noodle sequence, which was remastered yes. in CG. Yeah, is that what her name is? That was the singer. The singer. So several things to note about this. In the original version, Cy Snoodles was played by a puppet rather than a CGI monstrosity. Um, Which is great. Well, the original sequence was also only 30 seconds long as opposed to three minutes. Um, and... You need to pack more jizz in. <laughs> well, that was... that's, that's what the, the, that type of music is called, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're just jizzing all over the place here, apparently. 
Um, but apparently Lucas had always wanted to have like a proper three minute long song and dance number in the movie, but the technology simply wasn't there in 1983. <laughs> they didn't um, have three minutes in 1983. <laughs> yeah. Three um, minutes well, yeah. only got invented in 1997. <laughs> yeah. um, they didn't have song and dance. Really, what happened was somebody went to George Lucas, who is a very strange alien man, and said, you know, Return of the Jedi is a great movie, but that Tatooine sequence, um, it's a bit, it's a bit uncomfortably and demeaningly sexual. And George Lucas went, well, I know how to draw the focus away from that. <laughs> okay. yeah. No, but you got to have that in the movie. You need something for daddy. Um, all right. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll come back. Let's talk about the, 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 sequ- the sequence with that. Because, yes, apparently Lucas had originally wanted the sequence to be three minutes long, but the puppet wasn't good enough. So he went back and replaced it with CGI. Um, he also replaced the song. And this is this is where it gets really interesting, right? So the version that appears in the remastered edition is Jedi Rocks. Uh, and it's terrible, um, but the original. <laughs> Thank you, Andrew. Um, the, Sorry. The original. I just say say that so we can put the Imperial klaxon in. Uh, the original. Not like Imperial klaxons going off. I figure whenever they go off in the movie, they're just muffling swear words. <laughs> yeah, the the stormtroopers swearing at one another. But the original version was called uh, Lepty Neck, um, and it was. And this is kind of amazing. There were no fewer than three separate attempts to turn Lepty Neck into a disco hit during the early 80s. First of all, Michelle Gruska recorded a version with English lyrics penned by Joseph Williams, that's the son of John Williams, prior to Return of the Jedi's compilation. It was inexplicably dubbed Fancy Man, even though the official translation of Lefty Neck is Work It Out in English. Then... The Italian disco demigod Mecco Mernadi, who shot to fame in 1977 with a boogie oogie presentation of the original Star Wars main theme. Also had his own go at making a crossover hit, and apparently it was a number one hit in Thailand, which I kind of adore. The Italian disco version of the song from Jabba's Palace in Return of the Jedi. And then there was a 12-inch signal, a single called Lefty Neck Overture, uh, which was released in 1983 by Warner Brothers with the group Earth, which may be known for having the lead singer of Toto involved as well. This is where it gets... Oh, are, there, are, there, are there people in... in... Um, I guess there probably are people in Thailand who discovered the disco song first, and then we're like, "What's it doing in Star Wars?" Um, yeah. yeah, and then, then, but then, like, we're drawn to watch the movie uh, to see how it fits in. This is again where it gets uh, interesting and thorny because, as, as Luke pointed out, uh, George Lucas is a very strange person. Um, it's been suggested that Lucas may have been motivated to completely erase Lefty Neck from existence because according to rumors and speculation, the original version presented in the 1983 version of the film was sung, sung by Anne Arbogast, who was rumored to be having an affair with Lucas at the time that did not end well. And it's been suggested that Lucas's subsequent fixation with erasing both that song and that sequence from the movie may or may not be tied to the end of that relationship. Also worth noting that the character, the dancer, Ula, who appears in that sequence and gets fed to the Ragnar, um, she's played by Femi Taylor. And Femi Taylor, and here's a fun fact for you, is the only actor from the original trilogy to reprise her role in the remastered versions. She shot new material in that role in 1997. 
um, despite being nearly, what, 15 years or 14 years older at that point, um, apparently, which is, is remarkable. So there's a, there's a fun fact um, as far as that goes. But yeah, let's talk about the weird Tatooine stuff. Because there's a lot of weird Tatooine stuff. Andrew, you were suggesting something very Darren-esque, I think, when you were asked what this movie is about. So what is this movie about for you? No, I, I, I said it. It's the industrialized world's destruction of the human soul. Um, okay, fine. <laughs> um, <laughs> I thought you were going to turn to me and um, say, like, you 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 like you 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 like all that nudity, Andrew. This is like right up your street. And it's like, yes, boss. I don't like you pointing it out. Um, but yeah, would it would yeah, do we do we do we do we wanna talk a bit about kind of I I I think it's been referenced a couple of times by Will Gray Sandley, the 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 um the horny um uh, uh, start to the movie. Um, I mean, you 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 you, you mentioned the character of what, what was it, Femi? Uh, Femi Taylor's dancer. Yeah. Ula, um, who's the Twi'lek? I think because I know things about Star Wars and I've written it down. Yeah. Twi'lek. Twi'lek. Twi- oh, Twi'lek. thank thank you, Andy. See, we're re- we're re- we're relighting that kind of like obsession. Darren, like. Um, George Lucas is going to go back and, and change everything. And, and fix it in post-production. <laughs> um, um, yeah. It... Yeah. This is, this is, yeah. Okay. So let's talk about the weird, um, the weird horniness at the start in Tatooine. Um, Cause this is one of the interesting subtexts that runs through Star Wars, particularly the original trilogy is this, and it, perhaps it's tied to it being a coming of age story. But there's a lot of like uncomfortable like sexuality kind of stuff going on there, and I mean you know not to get too pointed on it, but like the Sarlacc pit um, is somehow a vagina dentata with a monstrous penis inserted via CGI. Um, but like even in the kind of like sequence at the the start where you have Leia put in a bikini, um, which is again paradoxically rather surreal because Lucas was apparently at the same time trying to desexualize Carrie Fisher by binding her breasts with gaffer's tape, prompting Fisher to say, no breast bounce in space. There's no jiggling in the Empire. So it's all very, very odd, I think. The, the, I mean, the, the thing and the, the shame, I think, about the kind of sticking Leia in the bikini and, and how reductive it, it is, is I, I think you've, you've created this this great character and 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 this this character that really speaks to a, a certain audience and i think that i don't think that that the filmmakers are doing that out of any kind of like i don't think they're necessarily doing it out of out of any kind of lust or anything out of their part i think it's one of those things where it's like this is what happens in movie serials is that the girl character gets chained up and all this. It's like a, this is yeah, a Flash Gordon kind of thing. thing. Yeah. 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 And it's like, it's, it's, it's one of these unintentional black hearted seeds that gets planted in this film, Darren, that you could have alluded to earlier in that it's the character, it's the filmmakers doing something. Cause, Oh, this is what, it's supposed to be based on the past rather than what actually works for, for what they've made. And I, and I think there's this horrible little demon brain thing in some of the, the fan base that, that kind of 
takes that and then takes this character that's been built up in a certain way and then kind of uh, takes her in a different direction in their imagination. Is there something, there's something that literally just occurred to me that the most positive reading I could think is that it's a case of fridging where this pro the provably competent and, and strong character is put in a position of like being sexualized and being completely weak weak and we as viewers are supposed to think oh no she's being demeaned but but you know fr fridging and and putting a woman in danger in film just to motivate the man is an inherently troublesome practice yeah, so it, it doesn't work. But if, if there was any intention, I think it was possibly that. But also, yeah, like films from this time, like I'm sure most of the people that made films in the 70s and 80s weren't actually racist, but every film that has a black person in, someone probably says a racist joke in those films because people said racist jokes back then. Well, it's, 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 it's immediately preceded by like Leia making her way into the palace uh, secretly posing like, as the bounty hunter yeah and like rescuing han in like a very like assertive and heroic fashion and even like the line you know who's there like he can't see and it's like she goes like someone who loves you it's this it's this traditionally kind of um kind of swashbuckling uh, heroic kind of line well gender it's also a gender reverse role where you would imagine like a man sweeping in to rescue a damsel in distress except yeah. this time it's han solo who's the damsel and, and it's like to immediately then do what you do it's like you you have this great character and it's like you i don't know do you totally get what you have but you, you... yeah they, they they undermine her a lot but like you, you see when she's like in prison she's not having a good time of it it's not like the character of leia was like oh this is this is my role now i'm gonna act all sexy if you watch flash gordon which which i did quite recently like Flash Gordon's mate gets kidnapped and turned into a sort of prostitute, and she immediately really in inhabits that role. And it's like she, they, they kind of just made the character do whatever was necessary for whatever scene was happening. But Leia is demonstrably unhappy about and this. I, I think not. Not only is she pre is that is that whole thing um, preceded by her being um, kind of capable but it's concluded and kind of succeeded by her 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 being a uh, capable she is the one who kills um jabba jabba like the, yeah the most quite brutally reading, as well well the most charitable reading of the sequence and it's not one i entirely buy to be clear before i articulate it but anyway the most charitable reading of the sequence is that you end up with leia ch literally choking jabba with the chains of the patriarchy yeah right. that's I don't think that a very charitable it, but, reading yeah I yes, I just yeah, think yeah, it was yeah, no, one of those yeah. classic situations where like the you know they they're not really looking at um, Leia as a character they're looking at her as a visual which is a pity because Leia was definitely a better character than many female characters in movies of this kind would have been at the time um, but I think they were just thinking of, about how they could make her set dressing and projecting as well because like that's a whole separate weird fantasy in and of itself to um take someone who's really capable um and and heroic and still sort of 
like not necessarily remove all of her abilities, but make her use those abilities in a way that some people would perceive as more photogenic. So you still feel less threatened by her. That might be my way of looking at it. I think it's possible they were trying to, I, I reckon it's possible they were trying to have their cake and yep. eat it. But I'd say it's, it's probably more likely that, 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 that if they were trying to have their cake and eat it, they were more interested in, I don't know which one is having the cake and which one is eating it. But, um, shading, but yeah, shading the cake up, looking at it. Uh, yeah. and, well, I mean, like this, this is the thing where like the, the, okay, first of all, we've singled out um, past kind of contributors to the franchise um, outside of Lucas. It's worth recognizing the work of Aggie Rogers here, um, who designed all of the costumes, including the gold bikini. Because I think there are some fabulous costumes in here, such as I love Han Solo's camouflage trench coat. Uh, for example, and I love is a general nerdy's uh, basically like walking cane and ill convincing comb over uh, in the briefing sequence. Uh, but you she designed. I thought that was very charming. I um, liked Lando's um, uh, getup. Um, um, well, yeah, he, well, he stopped wearing hands. He stopped wearing hands. Costs. Oh, you <laughs> sort of mask on it. Um, but just to bring it back to the bikini. Um, yeah, Aggie Rogers mentioned that she was asked. To, Lucas gave only general instructions about the scene in Java's palace, but wanted something special for the costume. His eyes started sparkling when we talked about it, says Rogers, um, for example. So they apparently custom, custom fit it. Um, it was made, one was made in rubber and one was made of metal. The metal one for the scenes where she wasn't active. Um, and it, it became this kind of weird fetish object. The actual bikini that was worn in the film was sold, um, I think, in 2015 for $96,000, um, which is quite a lot for a gold bikini. Um, and it also generated a fair amount of controversy. So it was the subject of a Rolling Stone photo shoot in 1983. Um, and we might include some photos um, in the show notes. But it's it's basically uh, Carrie Fisher on oh. the beach in in the bikini with a, with a ball. But the, um, and it was the very... photos in our show notes will be photos of you wearing the bikini. <laughs> Well, you know, uh, I mean, it's what the listeners want, Andrew. Um, but again, and, and kind of Fisher has gone back and forth on like how she feels about it. At her most charitable, she said, you know, um, tell them that a giant slug captured me and forced me to wear that stupid outfit. And then I killed him because I didn't like it. And then I took it off backstage. That's her most charitable reading of it. She's also said that, you know, the bikini made Leia more feminist, more supportive and more affectionate. And let's not forget these movies are boys fantasies. So the other way they made her more female was to have her take off her clothes. And more candidly, when she was talking to Daisy Ripley, uh, Daisy uh, Ridley, when she took over kind of the, the carrying of the Star Wars mantle in 2015 was don't be a slave like I was. Don't let them put you in the bikini. Um, but it's notable that apparently as soon as Disney bought the license, they apparently stopped manufacturing toys. Um, and costumes of Slave Leia, which which was interesting. Um, it kind of sparked a, a whole debate around it as well, um, because apparently it's no longer been part of the marketing for Return, Je Return of the Jedi, which I think is shows some growth, perhaps, or some awareness or some cognizance of, of how things have moved on and why maybe yeah, that was It's a little bit of progress. Or... You know, as usual with Disney, it's like yeah. the most basic thing they could do, but I suppose it's better than nothing. The least. The <laughs> What I find interesting about Return of the Jedi and one of the problems I have with it kind of flowing from this is that I think after this, Leia loses a lot of agency in the narrative where, and again, it's, it's interesting to think of Return of the Jedi from Leia's perspective, where she's sent in on this mission by her close friend and the former member of her romantic triangle who's going to turn out to be her brother. That mission is designed to end up with her captured 
Um, he doesn't know exactly what Jabba's going to do with her, but you know that Jabba's done things that will make Order D2's head spin. Um, and the entire plan is basically building up to Luke getting there. So she's meant to be captured. Um, after that happens, they go away. She volunteers to work on a mission with Han Solo. Han Solo is because Harrison Ford just wants to be here for the money and has now got his own franchise over in Raiders of the Lost Ark. Han is, let's say, not as enthusiastic or engaged as he has been in previous movies. So he's emotionally distant, which if you wanted, you could say is post-traumatic stress disorder as a result of being like hung on the wall of a giant slug. But throughout, Leia is consistently characterized as a character without her own agency and completely defined by her relationship to the other characters. So, for example, the sequence where Luke tells her that he's her brother and that Vader's her father. Luke is telling her that the man who tortured her on the Death Star, who stood beside her and watched as her home planet and her adopted family burnt, is her father. And that he, the man who like made out with her very briefly at the start of The Empire Strikes Back, is her brother. And that scene is immediately positions kind of Leia as... Oh, Luke, what about you? What about your issues? You need to run away. You need to protect yourself. Uh, you need to take care of yourself. There's never a moment in the film given over to Leia processing any of this, I think, which is perhaps to the movie's detriment. Is that, is yeah, that fair there, or unfair? There, there's, actually, there's, more, there's more time spent um, on Han Solo processing that That's news. <laughs> it's like his, his incest epiphany face. The, right. I, I mean, sorry. Um, yeah, well, I think w the the one moment that I noticed that was, I think, intended to be like the culmination of Leia's arc is when, you know, that they she gets uh, she gets winged and then um, Hans Hans kneeling over her and then she's got the guns and then then she's the one that gets to say. I know, and then she saves Han, and that's like, yeah, I'm, I'm the, I'm the hero now, and that was that was their attempt to make it like her story. Does that work? Do or, do we think? How does like? It's certainly an overture. Yeah, I mean, like again, it's probably them trying to have their cake and eat it. Like they probably knew enough that some young girls would watch the movie and be. And like finds that um, Leia's kind of heroic story inspiring, but it's so thin. But maybe maybe per, uh, a lot of movies back then were were only really starting to 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 kind of handle these things. Is is Leia a general in this? She's not actually, is she? Because she's re she repeated. She's repeatedly referred to as princess here. It's general. Summer. No, I think she she got the promotion in the Force Awakens. Yeah, and it seemed to be really easy to promote people. They could have promoted her so easily. It was like Han is yeah. a general. Han, even even Lando, who yeah, betrayed them, is a general. Yeah, Han, who's been hanging on Jabba the Hutt's wall, is like General Solo at this point. Yeah, Promotion, and he wasn't even alive. It's, again, it's it's one of those things like because it's a children's film like the term general in these movies is pretty meaningless because it's like han you're a general no get it in makes, there and you know, put yourself at risk it makes admiral akbar being an admiral it, seem less impressive general han solo <laughs> like, here's the entire plan that we have decided that we are dictating you're general just because we think you're cool basically does princess outrank general depends on the nature of your uh your uh 
governmental system, They're I like guess. W wicked, cause a distraction. Sorry, general wicked. <laughs> go, go steal that speeder. Yeah. By the way, like there, like Wicked has an entire speech in the novelization of the of the Return of the Jedi, which is kind of amazing. Like even even here, he just makes sounds, but apparently, like in the novelization, he has a big speech. Um, and I'm not going to quote all of it, but I love this. Honorable elders. We must aid this noble party, not less for the trees, but more for the sake of the leaves on the trees. These rebels are like the Ewoks, who are like the leaves, battered by the wind, eaten without thought by the tumult of locusts that inhabit the world. Yet do we throw ourselves smoldering on the fires that may know the warmth of light. Yet do we make a soft bed of ourselves that another may know rest. Yet do we swirl in the wind that assails us to send the fear of chaos into the heart of our enemies. Yet do we change color even as the season calls upon us to change. So we must help our leaf brothers, these rebels, for so has come a season of change here upon us. And that's wicked speech from the uh, from the novelization. I can think. Of I can see why they didn't really think a Shakespearean soliloquy belonged in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, booba, baba. Um, they they are like stormtroopers eaten without thought by our fellow Ewoks. Is C three PO a general? That's my question. Um, <laughs> he should be. Uh, He's a princess, man. He's a queen. <laughs> he's a god he's a um, like very quickly let's let's bring it back to leia because one of the luke mentioned the big reveal with leia in this movie is that she is actually uh luke's sister and this gets at something interesting because that is arguably the most important thing that happens to leia in you know in the context of like the mythology of star wars but it was actually apparently a massive afterthought um Apparently, Lucas had originally planned for there to be nine Star Wars films, um, and he was going to continue making them. He got them eventually. <laughs> he did, just maybe not the ones that he'd planned. But he'd originally planned for there to be an epic, like, nine-movie saga, and there was going to be a character who was going to be revealed. He was known as The Other, and he was going to be Luke, but he was going to be Dark Luke, and Luke was going to have to fight him, and they'd have to, like, come to terms and make peace between the two sides of the Force, or whatever, basically, that sort of stuff. But Luke, but Lucas had basically at the end of Empire Strikes Back, massively in debt, exhausted from working, about to go through a sprawling, massive divorce, and like you can read an interview with Rolling Stone, I think from like um, was it from from nineteen eighty three around the release of this, and he says, "Look, I spent ten years of my life making Star Wars movies at this point because I started working on A New Hope like four years before it was released. I just want to like go home and play guitar." I just want it to be over. I just want it to be finished. Um, so apparently a large part of, and at the same time, and again, we, we haven't really talked about Han, we'll talk about Han in a moment, but at the same time, Harrison Ford had signaled, I don't want to really come back and make this third movie in your epic saga. Um, and Lucas had kind of had to come to terms with the fact that even if he wanted to make nine movies, he couldn't count on even boyish, enthusiastic, like lovable kind of like scamp Mark Hamill still turning up to make the remaining kind of three films in the saga. So Lucas basically decided that he was going to wrap it all up 
um, and kind of like put a nice bow on it. And like Return of the Jedi is designed to like breeze through as much of the plot as possible. To like it's basically like a relay race through what Lucas wanted to do for the rest of the films. So it's like, oh crap, they mentioned that there was another Jedi. Ah, let's make it. Let's make it Leia. Sure, it's it's got to be Leia. That way we don't have to introduce a new character. Which is kind of like vaguely frustrating in that you have Leia and like her big development. In this movie is just. Uh, I don't want to have to create a new character. Let's just lump it onto Leia. Um, but what's interesting is that Lucas apparently throughout, um, he had there were a number of different endings considered for Return of the Jedi. Um, so the first one, which has been suggested by Lawrence Kasdan, who co-wrote um, The Empire Strikes Back, was that Luke would kill Vader. He would take Vader's mask. He would put it on and he would say, now I am Vader. And he would turn, attack the rebel fleet, and rule the universe. Um, Kasdan responded, that's what I think should happen. But Lucas apparently backed down from the idea at the last minute when he was like, no, no, I need to wrap this up. This is a movie for kids. We can't do that. His co-producer, Gary Kurtz, suggested that there was another ending, which is somewhere on like the, the sliding scale of Luke becomes an omnicidal maniac um, and the ending, the super happy fun ending we got, where Gary Kurtz suggested an ending where... Han Solo would die halfway through the movie during the raid on the shield generator. And that would basically write him out and keep Harrison Ford happy. And then at the end, Luke, sorry, Leia would have to grapple with her new duties as queen and have to struggle with the fact that she was essentially on her own in the universe because Luke had decided after his father's death that he wanted to wander off alone like Clint Eastwood on a spaghetti western. And apparently Lucas said no to all of that because apparently it would make it more difficult to sell toys. According to Harrison Ford, nobody wanted to buy dead hand solo toys. Um, so apparently they got the super happy fun ending. Because um, apparently, yeah, so like it's been suggested that one of the motivations like Lucas had for the ending that he chose for the movie was the selling of toys. And somewhere between 1978 and 1985, Kenner sold 300 million Star Wars toys. Which is... I don't begrudge him that at all. I I can understand why maybe it was disappointing and shocking to an early 80s audience who weren't used to this level of consumerism. But people people got to eat, man. Lucas got to pay his bills. No one needs to eat that much. Yeah, but like, like all of the children who got to have fun with those toys, what I think of is Adam and Joe show. Yeah, like, and them creating um, their own stories using Star Wars toys. I mean, yeah, Star I didn't, Wars I didn't mention this in like when we were talking about my my exposure to a knowledge of Star Wars, but I think the the action figures are, are a big part of that. Like they're they're there in the background. They're little bits of of kibble in in everyone's lives. The the. That I guess because we were like I was born in the same year it was released, so I've never known a year without excessive <laughs> toy marketing from Lucasfilm. Um, when it comes to talking about action figures, is it time to talk about the most famous action figure of all, Boba Fett? I mean, this is definitely a Boba Fett film, isn't it? <laughs> Every, everything yeah, else absolutely. just happens around it. He acquits himself so admirably. Who the f- Boba Fett, honestly? Yeah, well, that's this is the thing. That's the other thing that Star Wars fans hate about Return of the Jedi that is actually, I would argue, awesome about Return of the Jedi 
is so Boba Fett was introduced as a way of selling toys. Before he was characterization, he was just, this is a cool action figure to make. Let's make him essential to the plot. And if you're a kid watching Star Wars, Boba Fett is the coolest character ever. He's an alien bounty hunter with a jetpack and missiles and stuff. He's badass. He's awesome. He is. Like, as He's a got kid. that rope that wraps around people. Yeah. Completely non-lethal, which is very strange. I genuinely don't understand how he got this reputation. He is completely not interesting. Just appears in a couple of scenes. Looks pretty boring compared to everyone else and has no personality. So this gives me a really high opinion of children in the 80s. <laughs> like, they must have been really stuck for entertainment. <laughs> well, that's the thing. That's what I really love about Boba Fett and Return of the Jedi is that, like, Boba Fett as a character when you're a kid is, like, super cool and awesome. He has a jetpack and a mask. And when you come back as an adult, he's this weird, sad, dysfunctional, borderline incompetent figure. Um, who basically hangs around Jabba's palace, like sleazily chats up the dancers there when they're on their break and seemingly can't even get them to pay attention to him, is the constant shot of reaction shots. There's the moment where, like, during the climactic battle, he decides to jump over and attack Luke, despite the fact he's holding a blaster and the other guy's holding a sword. He decides the best way to shoot Luke is to fly up right in front of him in range of his lightsaber and point the gun at him in slow motion. Which is, you know, maybe not the best bounty hunter skills in the world. And it was all part of his plan. You know, as as as, as well that um, Boba Fett survives the whole thing. Oh yes. Like his escape was always going to be um, <laughs> in the in the Sarlacc. Yeah, that was that was his getaway. Like it, was, it, was, it was all like, yeah, but you can't you can't go straight into the Sarlacc pit. You need to make it look like there's a bit of a struggle. Yeah. Um, but then into the Sarlacc pit because, as you know, it takes a thousand years to digest but you'll be out of there um fairly soon like when when they're filming I the mandalorian that, season two yeah like jubnut or whatever his name is the gamoran guards there's there's <laughs> like a um a story where he yes. escaped from this is, the, this is the guy uh, who gets eaten by the rachnor who like you actually by, see yeah. the rachnor crunch into his skull pretty much the rachnor picks him up and like bites into his well, upper it body. cuts away <laughs> Kind of so the and then you see its feet going down and down, going down its throat, um, <laughs> and the but yeah there 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 is like a story which is now kind of non canonical. There's all this stuff that's like non canonical now. The the, like the, how, ran, the rancor and the salak are connected by an Einstein Rosen bridge, and if the rancor eats you, you emerge from the salak. So but so Bo, Boba Fett it. emerged from the the dead rancor's mouth. Like and they, his own adventures, but that they've reckoned all of the kind of um, stories that people kind of like had associated with being kind of part of the Star Wars, like yeah. like how Chewbacca dies because he gets hit by a car when a moon crushes him. He runs out in front of a car. <laughs> <laughs> but what was I about to say? That that's the thing that I. This is when I talk about like Return of the Jedi being ground zero for some of the worst tendencies in Star Wars fandom, which is like, you have that really beautiful moment where the cool action figure Boba Fett gets his jetpack accidentally activated by a blind Han Solo, screams across the sky going, ah, hits the side of a barge and rolls to his death, which is like a beautiful moment. It is like the most perfect yeah. moment. It's one of the great Star Wars moments. And then you have Star Wars fans who for the life of them cannot see the magic of that going, no, 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 no. See, Boba Fett, he survived getting put in the Sarlacc and he kind of clawed his way out and he climbed out and he persevered because Boba Fett is a badass. It's like the end of Rogue One with Darth Vader where it's like, 
Darth Vader is a badass. And it's like, no. Like, the entire thing about Boba Fett is that he's, like, terrible. He's the basis for the... Stormtroopers who can't hit the broadside of a barn. Like, they're all clones of Boba Fett. If Boba Fett was an elite-level bounty hunter, the Empire would be doing a much, much better job than they're doing. The entire punchline of this is that he's just terrible. But Star Wars fans are very much like, no, 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 no. Uh, we need to take him seriously. The, uh, the, the show, the, the Mandalorian, which I haven't watched it, I, it, it could well be very Music's good. Music's good. Um, but I know that the... The look of that yeah. main character is very much an attempt to kind of repurpose the the design kind of of Boba Fett and kind of actually have a cool character or whatever. Oh no! Um, spoilers for the Mandalorian, by the way, in case anybody um, listening is aware that this is the spoiler zone for all things. Boba Fett himself is coming back in the second season. Okay, but but what I was gonna say was that I would watch that show if it ends with like a Mr. Bean type <laughs> character accidentally bumping into the Mandalorian and killing him. I think it can be sometimes. I've seen a few I've seen a few episodes of it and there is there is a small amount of kind of him bumbling. It's not just him being awesome and everything. It it, um, it looks fun. I, I don't have any issue with it. It's just Boba Fett yeah, is he, he isn't he isn't hyper competent. There there are He's he's flawed in a way that you don't expect from an actual, certainly not a Disney hero, where like, oh, he's made mistakes. Oh, he he's he's having a few pratfalls. Oh, he's got the upper hand in this situation, and yet, um, so the, the, sometimes that undercuts the the character to a certain extent because he's then also built up as an indestructible powerhouse. So they don't quite don't... get that balance right. I don't understand Star Wars fans, I guess, because the fact that Boba Fett looks cool or and is mysterious looking or, or whatever, and then is killed by Han Solo bumping into him by accident when he's blind, that makes it funnier. Like that's Yeah. I don't if you don't see that as like awesome, I don't I don't know what to tell you. Like I mean like Lucas himself like has talked about how mystified he is by Boba Fett's popularity and I love this. The actual quote from George Lucas in nineteen ninety nine is I'm mystified it but mystified by it. He seems like an all all powerful character, except he gets killed. Like that that's it. Like that's George Lucas's entire conception of Boba Fett. And like again, making the stormtroopers the like an army of Boba Fett you think would underscore the point, but apparently not. It's that weird thing with Star Wars fandom where, like, everything has to be serious and important and weighty. And again, this is me, the guy who is just like, Star Wars is a metaphor for Watergate, Vietnam, and the disappointment of the moon landing talking. But like, you know, that, that kind of like self-seriousness where there's no fun. Everything has to be taken seriously and treated as gospel and as kind of, you know, reverentially and like as a sacred text. And it just sucks a lot of the fun and the joy out of it. Like, that sequence of Boba Fett flying through the sky, that shot of Boba Fett, his his hands desperately flailing as he screams, as his, like, jetpack rams him into the side of the ship. That's beautiful. And, like, the fact that some fans don't see that as beautiful is, is like, worrying to me. Or kind of, like, you know, it's that sense of, like, not being able to get distance from it, I guess, perhaps. Yeah, there's there's sort of like the 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 rule of cool where a, a lot of people who let's say might write fan fiction 
will miss every available point about character flaws and narrative tension just so they can have their favorite character do something cool and they they can't really get the point of having a cool scene where a background character just pratfalls yeah I mean, to be to be clear, uh, this is this is something I find interesting because again, like fan fiction is an interesting kind of term to use here because it's typically gendered, it's typically gendered female. The issue with like Star Wars is that it's what happens when you gender fan fiction male and it becomes much more serious business. So you have like entire extended universe storylines that are Boba Fett is the coolest, Boba Fett is the most awesome, Boba Fett is the baddest ass who ever asked, and it's like I, you know, his, take him his abs. Hard and glistening. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, he's also super straight and as well, dripping slowly off him. But no, I'm, but like that—that's the thing is that like, and this is the the thing that's that's really like again, it's a, it's conversations that happen about fandom, and Grace is probably better positioned as somebody who knows more about modern fandom, I think, than any of us here. But like this idea that you know that men get really upset about this idea of kind of women or, or non, you know, LGBT people or kind of like diverse people coming into their environments because they, they dilute like what's meant to be, you know, sort of serious and earnest about it. But you look at things like Boba Fett and it's like Boba Fett as exists in the extended universe is exactly what those angry male fans complain about Ray being in the prequels. He's this overpowered Mary Sue character who can do whatever is required of him by the plot because the the writer decides that he wants to. And there's there's no well, sense... So is Luke, by that matter. Oh, yeah, absolutely. 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 I agree with that. Um, but, like, I, I find it interesting that, like, that that gap exists where it's like, no, 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 no. This, you know, the character of, of Ray is, is awful in a Mary Sue. And she's not. She's complicated and actually complex and has character flaws that are interesting and compelling, much like I think Luke's are here. But the same people are like, yeah, but Boba Fett, man, Boba Fett is the coolest. And you're like, do you not see a dissonance there between what you're arguing about, you know, the characters in the sequel trilogy and what you're saying about this character from your own childhood, from whom you have no emotional distance? I just I I do. I find that strange. That's one of the things that I find disconcerting about certain strains of Star Wars fandom, perhaps. All right. Is there anything else anybody wants to talk about? Anything that any we haven't discussed already? Anything jumping out at people uh, about Return of the Jedi? Very, very briefly. Um, I think I mentioned last year that like C three PO is my favorite Star Wars character, and I think possibly the reason that this is my favorite of the original trilogy is because this really is C three PO's time to shine. <laughs> um, like, uh, all, he's he's brilliant in the in the beginning of the film where like everyone every all the other characters have this complex elaborate plan which partly hinges on not telling it to c3po <laughs> uh like I, I love um c3po translating everything about how he's their gift the two droids to to Jabba, and then he's like wait what you've got the wrong message <laughs> oh, oh uh, wait he sent you back and lando to infiltrate the palace i wonder what's uh, happened to and them like I, I love the fact that the and again it shows how much the uh the Ewoks rule the fact that they look at like C3PO as the this golden god, <laughs> and like the the idea that like C3PO is like they're all getting like roasted on a spit, and like C3PO you think of as this like kind of um, very passive character, but like Han is like frantically telling him to like tell them what's what, and he's like, oh, I don't know. They're telling me that they're throwing a banquet in my honor. Like it kind of it shows how petty and, and um, like it's 
again, just, just, I mean, the, the thing very, very briefly to talk about, uh, whatever the last one was called, Rise of Skywalker. There's a lot of stuff in that movie that I don't like, but I think the thing that I think is most spurious in it is when C-3PO gets his big, dramatic, self-sacrificing... I just want to take one last look at my friends. Moment out of, like, out of love of his friends and out of his... Like, you're supposed to think that C-3PO thinks that the stakes are so high that he has to make this big, grand sacrifice. Whereas, like, I've never really thought that C-3PO has much skin in the game of the Star Wars. I, I think 3PO is ageless. He's, he's like a time lord in this instance where it, living forever doesn't feel like you living forever. It feels like everyone else dying really early. Aww. He's had three, he's had three separate sets of ever so close friends. Every one of whom has had a, you know, universe ending conflict around them he's over it by now <laughs> definitely and i think i've said it to darren before there's something kind of devastating in the fact that c3po says he wants to take one last look at his friends in that in that bit and it's like every character in star wars has nothing but unending content <laughs> for this guy <laughs> and yeah like it's nice you know return of the jedi he gets he gets briefly appreciated but it's by Tiny teddy bears that have his only fans. Yeah, yeah. them and uh, I, I, I. I'll say briefly. I like that R two D two plays music and makes drinks. <laughs> that he's he's like a good a, mixer. He's a, a multitasker. A party droid. Um, yeah. He's on the pleasure yacht. I love that, like Jabba's, like hench droid is like, yeah, it's like, yep, yeah, you'll fit in right at home on the pleasure draw in the pleasure yacht. <laughs> yeah. I know what you're into. <laughs> I, I liked as well Yoda's kind of comment where he's like, when when 900 years you will reach, look as good as this, <laughs> um, you will not. Um, and he's like pointing at a six bag. You and six um, tags. It, it's, um... <laughs> voiced by Miss Piggy um, as well. Uh, uh, voiced Frank by Oz. Miss Piggy. Yeah, Frank Oz. He, yeah, he... That's right. That's right. Because he has a kind of a different voice that you so then you associate with normal Yoda in this. He's kind of like Luke, Luke, um, like where it's... he say he saved a lot of final comments for his dying breaths. It seemed like they had maybe ten, <laughs> yeah, fifteen yeah, minutes yeah. before the scene started for us, <laughs> where he could have laid this stuff out in a much less uh, pressured manner. Um. But uh, also, very quickly, we didn't talk about Han at all, actually, and Han here, and kind of like Harrison Ford's general being overall. It's okay. Yeah. People talk plenty about Han. Yeah, I suppose that's fair. <laughs> um, all right, then. And very, very quickly, I promise. Yeah, the thing that I really dislike about Return of the Jedi is that it is... The Empire Strikes Back pushes Star Wars outwards and it does new things and it does different things and it brings you to different worlds and it kind of like changes the structure of Star Wars film where you have the big battle at the start and intimate conflict at the at the end and stuff like that and a series of disconnected adventures in the middle like the old serials. My big problem with Return of the Jedi structurally is that it basically retreads A New Hope. It does the original Star Wars again. You open with an extended sequence of Order d 2 and C-3PO wandering around in the Tatooine Desert, for example. You have sequences like Luke and Leia swinging off the barge. You have another Death Star again. You have even things like, say, you know, the, the shot of like the, the communication via the droid, via Order d 2 providing vital plot information at certain points and things like that as well. And I think that, like, and to be fair, the movie's aware of that. Like, I love that Jabba's 
big solution to dealing with problems is throw them in a pit and have a monster eat them. And when that doesn't work, Jabba's like ultimate sanction is take them to a deeper pit with a bigger monster and throw them into that instead. <laughs> and a cocaine badge. Yeah, he say, he says they'll be terminated immediately. And then it's like, but since we don't have a rancor anymore. <laughs> For a thousand years. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, but um, but no, the, the, my, my, my big problem with Return of the Jedi is that it it's the point at which Star Wars effectively becomes nothing more than it can be. I think one of my big issues with Star Wars and Star Wars fandom is that there's a hesitance to embrace new things in it. There's a fear of new things or new approaches or new ideas or things that differ in any way from what came before. And I mean, you know, obviously the prequels have problems, but a large part of the reaction against them from fans was this is not the Star Wars I know. At a certain point with, you know, Return with like The Last Jedi, it's this is not the Luke I know, for example, and things like that. And I think Return of the Jedi is probably the point where that comes in because it's it's like literally at a certain point almost remaking the original Star Wars. You know, it opens with that shot of the Star Destroyer coming yeah, in yeah, from the yeah. angle and the Death Star blows up. And yeah, stuff. and then it's like a repurposed frame, but I'm not sure what that was saying, actually. Like, yeah, well, just you like Star Wars. We're giving you yeah. more Star Wars. Like it, it feels like it's the point. That's at which... what most Star Wars is. The, though. The, there's, there's something to the, the retreading of the old stuff and the return to Tatooine. I think is something to do with Lucas's sort of. He wants to be really good at telling Campbellian stories, and this is supposed to be Luke's return home at the end of the circle, the poetic circle, but it just comes off as clumsy and repetitive instead of the completion of a journey. <laughs> um, and the Death Star again, like building another Death Star as well. Mm. It's like, like what was the logic there? It's like it has exactly the same design flaws as the Death Star, except, the, except the whole it's bigger, so presumably... <laughs> like, get a whole yeah, ship down. Maybe, <laughs> maybe if they built an even bigger one, though, Darren, like the third time would be the charm? Who's the exactly, same? third time. Um, the, the idea is to build a big Death Star with one huge hole in it that was its one weakness and then put a, a smaller Death Star in that hole. The idea that Vader is like the best I kind of feel like that's that's the movie you want to watch while they're on Tatooine. You want to watch Vader holding these meetings and getting people motivated to move. Um, that's what you're going to want to watch. Does he just threaten to choke people? Like, at, at, at what point do you, do you choke too many people that it's counterproductive? Well, he doesn't choke um, anyone in this film, so he's clearly reached his limit. No, but you just find out that, like, um, the, everything's went well and it's now on schedule. So, like, <laughs> I, I guess it was just threats. Um, There's an anonymous suggestion box. Friday is casual Friday. We've opened a juice bar in Hangar Bay 4. We want you to know that we are taking all of your suggestions on board and dealing with this. Um, but yeah, and, and again, the, the weirdness of the Emperor's plan, where it's like, we have, um, I'm going to leak the information to the rebels and lure them into a trap, but I'm also going to tell them where the shield generator is. The shield generator is also not going to be behind the shield, crucially. Um, well, then, again, that's another thing that, like, Star Wars hardcore fans see this see this series and this movie in, in a way that I don't, because they, they tend to see the yeah. Emperor as this, like, Machiavellian... Uh, evil mastermind whereas he's really just this like messy little gremlin his overconfidence is <laughs> like loves the drama and yeah exactly <laughs> like he's just this like kind of panto villain um but i like if you think that like a panto villain that kind of like is getting off on his own like 
gleeful uh, villainy is like this like super schemer that probably says more about you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. On that note, I think about wraps it up. Unless there's anything else anybody wants to talk about, anything that we haven't discussed already, anything jumping out at people. No, I, I like my my closing thought is that you know the um, when they're on Endor having a little quiet moment. Something feels very intimate and Christmassy about um, C-3PO narrating the story of all the Star Wars films to the Ewoks and to his friends. And I feel like that just drives home how these are fables. These are little fun, cute stories that you would tell around a campfire. They're not to be taken too seriously yeah, and again you have that kind of reiteration of the star wars saga where it becomes a snake eating its own tail mm. pretty much you have characters in star wars narrating star wars while recreating <laughs> star wars and it's like what have we wrought what have we created um and in, in vietnam <laughs> in vietnam on the moon which may or may not exist <laughs> um but yeah no so that like i i think there's an argument you made that the return of the jedi creates modern star wars in that it creates that mythology of star wars all right then with that in mind what we normally do at the end of end of the podcast is we ask our guests to recommend something for listeners something they are enjoying at the moment it can be something related to the podcast something unrelated to the podcast whatever it takes your fancy so while luke andy and grace think about this i'm going to ask andrew to go first um, I'm gonna recommend the moon landing. Um, it's like a pretty cool thing. It that was happened. not disappointing. It was not disappointing. Yeah. Um, I, I, I would recommend the Adam and Joe show, but I, I, I believe there is a way to watch that stuff, um, and that is just difficult. But um, having having not attempted to myself, um, I guess I can't recommend it. But um, no, the moon landing. Um. <laughs> Thanks, Andrew. And Grace, what would you recommend for listeners? Um, I watched the Netflix documentary on Blackpink last week. That was quite enjoyable. There's a K-pop band, Blackpink, for those who are unfamiliar. It's a um, pretty kind of basic introduction to that world, but uh, it was fun. It was enjoyable. It was feel good, which is probably what a lot of people need at the moment. <laughs> um, I imagine so. And Luke, what about yourself? What would you recommend? Um, I would recommend the viewers check out the videos of the animator Worthy Kids. Uh, you might be familiar with his Big Top Burger series. Um, they're these kind of fun, weird little animations. Um, the Big Top Burger is like this fun little weird series about like a, a burger fan. But he's also got a great, uh, to tie it all full circle, he's got a great little Star Wars uh, animated sequence about like the the emperor getting thrown down that pit and then just like landing on this like weird little planet and like talking to Yoda's ghost <laughs> and he calls Yoda he says like Yoda you little sponge you look terrible <laughs> this is like weird little um, animation with like improvised dialogue that uh, yeah it gets a chuckle out of me very similar to the um the one that we mentioned the david lynch one which we'll show in show notes well. uh, yeah and it's like he sees like the little throne that he's on then in rise of skywalker and he's like it's perfectly sized for my little body just <laughs> <laughs> this like weird little thing that um i think sees star wars the way that i do so therefore i appreciate it um and andy what about yourself what would you recommend for listeners Luke, I really love that Emperor. It was better than Andrew's. And it sounded <laughs> yeah, it sounded like Emperor did. Palpatine via Werner Herzog, which I would I would pay money to see. 
Two great Star um, Wars. It was there. great. <laughs> I realized as I was doing it that I couldn't do it. <laughs> it but you kept going anyway, which I admire and appreciate. Not really. Oh. I, like, I imagine that the viewers, the listeners will be like, what on earth are they talking about? <laughs> I guess we have to put it in. Now there. we do. Yes. Thank you for the um, continuity reference. But we, 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 like, ideally, we would have Luke saying it. <laughs> you could do, do another sample and then you can copy paste it in later. Um, the remastered version. With regards to things that I've I've imbibed, um, we've just finished Queen's Gambit, which I don't think needs plugging. Um, this is the one on Netflix, starring Anya Taylor Netflix, Joy. Yeah, right? it, it's a um, she's it's a superhero story. She's she's got magic super chest powers, and it's beautiful. Uh, the, the final fifteen minutes. Of it. Huh. And if you want to create your own content, I would recommend. Um, a course I'm doing with Mob Theatre in Dublin, run by Erin McCarthy, and we she does a load of different courses. But I'm doing the writing a pilot for a sitcom course. Um, she does writing writing a movie um, screenplay course and and various other things. They're they're not doing in person stuff at the moment, but the online tutorials and groups are fantastic. Oh, fantastic. A very quick recommendation for myself. Um, I recently took some time off work, and in that time, I wrote a book. And as part of writing that book, I watched a lot of Doctor Who, um, the 21st century version. It's fantastic. Um, if you are in the mood for more space stuff, albeit like more intimate rather than epic, um, and perhaps more subversive and kind of silly and goofy, probably go with that as well. All right, then. So if people are looking for Luke, Andy, or Grace online, where can they find you guys? So Grace, where can um, they find you? Nowhere, really. <laughs> Um, I'm still on, like, my Twitter account is still active, but I hardly ever go on there anymore for the sake of my sanity. I took a pandemic-induced break, but if you want to follow a redundant account, and it may take me six months to approve you as a follower, then I am at Pixie Grace. Yes, that's my name. Perfect. And Luke, where can we find you? Uh, you can find my writings and ramblings on filmandjudgment.ie, and you can also find me on Twitter far too often in, like, a horrible black pit of despair um, at Mr. Cynical, that cynical with an I and not a Y am I still oh, I get it. hell site. Yeah. Um, and don't forget the magazine and the podcast as well, actually. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, if you go to film and Dublin.e, you'll find all that that okay. good stuff. Uh, you'll find my my podcast that I that I uh, host with my sister, Jess, and uh, the Breakout Roll podcast, where we view and review the first roles of Hollywood icons and you can also find our uh, free online easy and pretty deadly films which Grace uh, during the summer very kindly contributed to one of our issues there um, on Bring It On. Uh, a great fun popcorn movie like this in so many ways. <laughs> um, yeah, be sure to check um, all that stuff out. Which character is Palpatine? Uh -huh. um, I don't know. It, you see the, the absence of characters like Palpatine is what makes Bring It On so great. You know, it's just it's feel good um, <laughs> like, story without any horrible old men in it. You yeah. know? It's a different uh, world, Darren. All right. And Andy, where can we find you? What are you up to? Uh, I'm not I'm not really online much. I'm hiding much like Grace. Um, but I, after we stop recording, I, I'd like to hear more about your book, Darren. I'd buy that for a dollar. Okay. 
Um, all right. Well, yeah, because I can't, I can't mention that yet. All right. And then, yes, so before we close, uh, some quick notes. We've had some people online asking if we intend to do more Star Wars coverage because we have covered the last Star Wars movie on the list. Uh, but we've also not covered any of the prequels or some of the sequels that have followed. And people seem to like these episodes. So we are taking that under advisement. There's negotiations taking place. Uh, we will, the, the trade... People have literally told us they would pay us to do it. <laughs> um... You don't take their money, you know, you, you, you bare men, you, you have to take their money for that. Um... Yeah, if, like if people are just giving money away. <laughs> <laughs> okay well that, this is probably a conversation for off the podcast i was going to suggest that we might like suggest that people that people donate to charity or something and then we would maybe do it but we need to figure out what charity or how or whatever but yeah just if you would like us to cover more star wars movies let us know anyways what we're saying but that's okay because next week we're taking a bit of a slight divergence we're stepping into another science fiction universe through the mind of another very distinctive individual to mark the release or the non-release of Denis Villeneuve's 2020 Dune, we are not going to talk about that because it doesn't exist and isn't out yet, and we'll certainly make the list at some point in the future. We are going to talk about David Lynch's 1984 version of Dune. And joining us oh for that discussion... God. I know. Um, and joining us for that discussion, we will have the wonderful Joe Griffith and the fantastic Charlene Lydon. Um, so that will be part of our Christmas coverage this year. Thank you so much, Luke, Grace, and Andy. Thank you for joining us. Sorry for holding you so long. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank and, you. And may the force be with you. Cheers. Always. <laughs> <laughs>